guys have any Star Trek V tapes left? Where is the Star Trek V video? You got Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. Please. Any Star Trek Vs? Ooh, thank you. Great. Thanks. Fabulous. Yes. Oh, thank goodness. Would you happen to have Star Trek V? Yes, sir. Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. So tell your dealer you want to see it. Saw that the, that this was on a Blu-ray. This was on the All Blu-ray. The original DVD. Yeah. I didn't have the deluxe edition DVD. I have like, I bought it as soon as it came out. Yeah, I, that's the same one I have because I think I got a rental from the video store, and uh, yeah, my dad has that now. Uh, welcome to another Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers episode. That's Jay Blake, and this is Dion Baya. <laughs> <laughs> and we're pointing at each other. Little little throwing of the voice there. And uh, we're here for the second episode of 2019, uh, coming at you with with an old classic from 1999, 20 years old already. 20 years old 20 already. years. Uh, and you caught us in the middle that. of the conversation. We were talking about um, different editions of this, this particular film tonight that we have and how we were getting it to watching it. And you... We, we we were taught we were having a 4K t- TV conversation <laughs> that we figured wouldn't you know necessarily uh, be bo- uh, interest of you guys and then we turned on and we were just wrapping that up and uh, t- 20 years Blake and I saw this together in the movie theater we did um, while we were in college and I believe that was the second time I saw it oh that was the second time yeah I think okay. so you're the one who said like you this is good we should go I thought that was the first time and then you went the second week no I f- because I think I went to you because we saw it. I was staying with you at your parents' house. Yeah, and during the winter break. Yeah, was it a winter break? I think so. When did this come out? <clears throat> when did this come out? December the twenty fifth. You're right, nineteen ninety nine. So you must have came up during that winter break, uh, right around yeah, right before the turn of the century, or so, after. So we saw it in Jan- early in, January, maybe. Yeah, what do you think about that? Because I saw this... Because I remember for New Year's, 1999 to 2000, I went up to my friend's house. He had he was going to University of Vermont, and I spent the New Year's in Vermont that year. 99, 2000? Yeah, and then I drove back for, to, to Connecticut with all my boys, Martin and all them. Yeah. So I would think that... Yeah, it's weird, because I went to go see Billy we, Joel that New, New Year's. Year's. Yeah. The 99, 2000 New Year's. At the Garden? Also, yeah, at the Garden. But I also went to... I saw this in New Orleans. Oh, with, so maybe that was with, in February. With someone whose name we don't mention on this show. <laughs> <laughs> He's been redacted. We're contractually obligated not to mention him. I, uh, Them. I went down to New Orleans to visit him, yeah. and I remember I got off, though. He picked me up at the airport. You really went to go visit <clears> the family, <throat> but... Uh. <laughs> I, I mean, I did love... I, I was also... I get along good with my friend's parents. Yeah, you do. <laughs> um, I, I have a testimonial of that. <laughs> uh, we got. I got off the plane. He picked me up at the airport, and we went straight to the movie theater, and we saw this. Okay. So you think that could have been February? And I think or? I came back. How long were you down there for? About a week. How long so? did we have a winter break for? When we, when winter break was like a month, I think. But what, would we be back by... Uh, but I remember, because then... I came back to New York. Yeah. 
and Aaron picked me up at LaGuardia. We'll mention him. And our then, old friend Aaron, our film school friend. And then I think we went up to your house to work on your film. Yeah, but we or only... Or maybe I took the train up. Yeah, but only you and I saw this. I know. So, so maybe I took the train up. Because I don't remember it being around... I don't know. It was a blur then, but what I don't remember it being junior, on. Who was in your junior film? Uh, my junior film was in the bowling alley. We shot some of it at Aaron's house. Uh, John Evans, uh, the, uh, Kevin. All, who, I'm all confused. Yeah. Um, maybe we did see this. No, I'm pretty sure I saw it in New Orleans first. Yeah. And then maybe I came back up to... Uh, Maybe you know what it was? No. I'm gonna scratch all that. Okay. Not all of it. Yeah. I did go down to New Orleans. Yeah. I saw this in New Orleans. Yeah. I came back. Yeah. And for some reason I didn't go Aaron did pick me up. I think I took a train up to New Haven. Yeah. And then I stayed with you for a few days. Okay. At your parents' house. And then we went down to White Plains to work on Aaron's film. Which I think is when we slept in Aaron's. <laughs> That's the story from a couple months ago? In the back room of Aaron's house. And we were so tired. From the Mad Dog 2020. And uh, was <laughs> yeah. that, what story? That might be on the Blues Brothers podcast. Because I think M- Mike Vanderbilt was here for that. I think that might That was been. the end of that that little adventure? Because that was, that was the winter. Yeah. Okay, that kind of sounds, that sounds, and then we were shooting at like his friend's house in, with John Evans in North White yeah, Plains, yeah. that actor. I think that's the story, because it was definitely that year, because that's the year that the person whose name we don't mention lived in New Orleans. Them, yeah. Like our junior year. Yeah. Because they had taken junior year off. Yeah, I remember you were down there for quite a while. Yeah, I was down there for at least a week, maybe a week and a half. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, I think that's it. Okay. So you'd already, so you must have been like, this is really good. I, have I, a f- I think we were looking at movies to go see, and Julius. there was like nothing that really floated a boat, and you were like, I would go see this. I was like, I already saw it, but I'd go see it again. Yeah. <laughs> and I think we went to go see it. I remember us seeing it together, but I mean, we saw we it did, together, but I meant- We did definitely see it together. Oh, yeah. I just thought it was that we both saw it for the first time. It's coming out pleasantly surprised. Maybe I just didn't tell you so that you wouldn't feel bad about <laughs> yeah. going to see it. Uh, really? This is you? You're like, yeah, it was great. Uh, but we did see long. That was a long way around to say we did see this together when it came out. And, uh, and there aren't really that many. If you think about the our, the length of our friendship, yeah, and the amount of movies we've watched together, okay, even before we started doing this podcast, oh yeah, there aren't. There's only a handful of movies that we saw at the movie theater together, I feel like. Uh, it was the remake of Psycho. We saw the remake. <laughs> you mean, are you talking, are you only counting stuff we've seen together? Or you yeah, see, like, like only with you the and third, I have seen together. But not with, like, Aaron? I mean, but, say Because like, we saw, like, even. Transporter 2 with him. I'll, I'll rattle off what I remember. Because <laughs> everyone's going to want to know. Everybody's going to get your pens and paper. Get your picture pages. <laughs> so you can write, write okay, these down. I'm going to go. I don't know if I can go in any kind of order. Uh, I don't remember what the first movie we saw in the theater together was, but I remember us seeing the remake of Psycho. We saw um, uh, House on Haunted Hill, Palisades Mall. Oh, yeah. We saw The Bond with um, uh, Denise Richards. Denise, yeah. We saw... I remember that. I think even Josh Nasugi was with us for that. Yeah, R.I.P., lovely guy. Yeah. Uh, we saw Sleepy Hollow. Okay. One of the mummies, probably the first one. No, it might have been the second one. Okay, the second one. I saw the first one with my dad, uh, <laughs> which is weird, but... Road to Perdition. Did we see Road to Perdition? I guess you're right. I guess there's more than I thought. Uh, the second Transporter movie, because that's the one we saw with Aaron. That's the last time I've seen that. Uh, yeah, I guess when you add the ones that we kind of saw at groups of friends. 
uh, what else are we seeing together? I feel like there was a couple other like horror Did we movies. See, uh, what's it called? The uh, and then there's stuff like I think did we see the Orson Welles Touch, Touch of, of Evil? Evil when they reissued that with like his cut of the movie? I feel like we, in the theaters. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just saw that. saw that. Last year we had Mike Morona on, our friend from film school who was in Pete and Pete, and we did the Enter the Dragon episode together. I went and saw it, that a couple years with him. They were showing at the Film Forum in New York the various cuts uh-huh. of it because they were doing a month of Orson Welles, and they screened. We watched the theatrical cut, which isn't really available anymore because that's the cut the studio did, which was good. Yeah, yeah. So there's parts missing, which are, and then you're trying to like, how the hell? What? What? <laughs> you know, you, you remember stuff that isn't there. What else did we see together? Um, I. F- feel like we the bone collector we saw the bone collector that um, was at that little theater that was the, like the a, forest yeah the forest theater in uh that was one of the last one one picture houses in new haven but the exorcist the cut you've never seen yeah well her going down the stairs we saw that one uh we went to go see king kong but we aborted it because blake's like there's too many people and you're gonna get mad <laughs> and that was like 2005 i remember we went to the movies together and you saw Blow, yes, and, and I saw like Memento. <laughs> yeah, we didn't go together, for we, but I feel like we were the third person because I feel like somebody saw that came with me. There might maybe have been a I female. Had, maybe I had already seen Blow. We might have had our friend. And I went to go see something like else. Charlotte or somebody with us. I feel like or somebody that era. Oh, but uh, Bride of Chucky, Bride of Chucky. Yeah, that there you go. With, that we did. Yeah, see with Ronin, Charlotte. same theater. Yeah. Uh, just mem- going down memory lane. <laughs> All the, of the anyway, uh, yeah, I get more than I thought. I mean, I guess when you add up the movies that you and I just saw, the two of us at the movie theater, it's not that many. Yeah, and I keep a lot of. I still surprisingly have a lot of those stubs. I, I found like a whole jar full of stubs. Yeah. I was flipping. Through. Some of them fade, but some of them actually hold up. I was flipping through your diary. A uh, a book. And I found a stub for like Rushmore. I that's <laughs> high school, right? I saw that too. That might have been co- no, that might have been like freshman year of college. I think we we had this conversation last year. You you might be right. Yeah, I find I find weird. I find stubs in like that. I use as bookmarkers and stuff in old in books on my shelf. Maybe and, I should do that. Start putting the stubs I have left in random books. I also just found a. Uh, I had taken a bunch of stuff out of storage, and I was going through it because I needed to shred a bunch of old documents and stuff, and I was pulling stuff out, and I was finding ticket stubs from concerts. Well, I keep all those. Like Hammer, like MC Hammer. You saw Hammer in concert? <laughs> you never told me that. What with my parents. What the? It, it was, he wasn't MC Hammer. It was still, he was he just was, Hammer. It was too legit to quit. Wow, that tour? And the uh, Boys to Men opened for him. Of course. And uh, what else? But the first time I saw Billy Joel was in there. Uh, first crap. time I saw Pizzarelli at Purchase, that's chicken stuff. Was I in remember there. that. And it was also my Captain Video membership card was in there. The defunct video store. <laughs> yeah. yeah. A, a couple of different video world, a couple, a bunch of. I still have uh, my Blockbuster card in my pocket. My Blockbuster card. There was a bunch of video store. Is it, it was an old membership. wallet or just it, it was all in this book? The tickets, book. the tickets were in something else, like in a stack of things, and I had an old wallet that had all the video store cards, and the, it also had that fake ID <laughs> that we made, not to drink, no, but to, to go see Buddy Guy. To get into a Buddy Guy concert. <laughs> to get into a club. I still have that on me, right, actually. <laughs> I could pull that. It's in my bag right now that's at the other side of the room. I have that ID on me. Um 
So this goes back to last week, weren't you talking about? I think in last week's podcast, you were bringing, you were saying that you went, you were open, unloading an old storage locker, and we yeah, found yeah. all the old VHS tapes. Yeah, yeah. So this must be more this of that. Is more of you finding all more that. Of that. So on, on uh, uh, Blake and I were, we buddy guy was playing at Toad's place up in New Haven, and we were we wanted to go see him, but it was twenty one and over, so we had we the were like twenty. Yeah, and we had the great 19. idea to go. Uh, this is a very funny f- story because the payoff's hilarious. That we went to this, we went to the mall. I was really hungover. We got passport photos, so my pa- I have like an afro in my passport photo. <laughs> and then we went, and our friend of ours, Garrett, who we brought up earlier this year, because we were talking about uh, watching you watching Mary Shelley in his room. So that <laughs> might have been the Frankenstein cast. Uh, that guy had <laughs> these like hologram valid symbols. So we thought, oh, that'll look great. So he he made us. He, we took our 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 college IDs, and he made he did the same thing on a computer, printed it out. Then he put the passport photos we had on the 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 uh, fabricated college ID. We put the valid symbol on it. We put a added a birth date, and then we laminated that son of a bitch. Yeah, yeah. And then we cut off the side because then we went to maybe to a grocery store and laminated like you can get the laminator thing. And then we had them, and they looked really bad. I mean, you could because it was on an index card, so you could turn it around and you kind of <laughs> see the in, yeah, you kind of see the stripes. <laughs> I could pull it out right. I mean, it'll take too long. I don't know if I could if I can reach it. And um, what ended up happening is we go to Toad's place the night of, and Blake's friend. Gave who who kind of looked like Blake gave Blake his old license. So at the last so minute, invalid. Yeah, a, driver's out of date. License. At the last minute, Blake uses the guy's license, gets in. Dion stuck with the fucking <laughs> fake ID, and the uh, the guy the guy looked at it and let me in, and it was the funniest thing in the world. And uh, here's my old high school uh, ID we're card. Really taking a. Here we are. There's my there's my old college ID. That doesn't. You don't. That looks more like Martin. That's the, that's where my that my, it does my wife gets scared. She's like, I don't like how you used to look. That's the old college ID. Uh-huh. And then lo and behold, you look like a Cal- California kid. Yeah, the, I do. I'm tan. And the and purchase ID. Yeah. And there you go. And that's it. <laughs> there <laughs> it is. It. Oh, I just found mine. I should put mine in my wallet. We should we should, the next you know? And then so you see, you look we, at turn it over. Yeah, and you see how you, you see can see the lines. It, yeah. But it looks kind of good, right? I, I mean, it doesn't. I mean, even you compare it to the what our old idea. I mean, this is everyone. This ideas, is pre nine eleven. Our old ideas were awful looking. Yeah. So if you look at the back, they kind of look the same. I mean, there's no barcode or whatever because he had to make room to put our our like our birthdays on it. So that's that's pretty funny. I don't know why I have that in my wallet in my bag, just in case I need my high school. You know, I kind of fill it out once I uh I, know, I got to college, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this is really, I look gaunt as hell because we found um, a couple years ago some kid I went to high school with. He had, we, um, we did regional theater. We did theater like in our high school and then we went and we went and, uh, and did like a festival to win a prize where all the, the theaters in Connecticut high schools will come together and put on their play and then whoever votes wins. So we went to that and he brought his video camera. So this is like 94, 95 and he taped the whole thing. And I haven't seen that video since we, you know, I don't even remember. That's over 25 years ago. So he sent me like an MP4 of that video. So I screened it and I look like, you know, I look all like tall and, and thin, and, you know. <laughs> You've shrunk. Yeah. And, and so it's weird. It's really weird looking because I kind of just look like a different person. My, my face is wider. It looks like a shovel. You know? <laughs> 
old shovel face Dion. <laughs> old shovel face Dion. And like, you know, then my hair is like, like, is like carrot tops when I grow it out, you know. Uh, I can't grow, I want to try to grow my hair out, but now I'm starting to thin up front, so I get, I'm getting worried. Anyway. Uh, but anyway, so we've, we've just, that's 15 minutes. All right. <laughs> right. So we're doing tonight. Uh, a movie that we saw together. in the theater <laughs> really in 1999. Well, actually, it might have been 2000. It might, we saw it. You're right because it is after the new. So that might have been the first. Uh, that might this might have been our first movies of 2000. That'd be. I, I feel like I should have remembered what my first movie in the theater was, because I remember my first movie in the 90s seeing in the theater was uh, Hard to Kill. Of course, gonna take you to the bank, the blood bank. Uh, good old Steven Seagal. Seagal <laughs> and William Sadler Seagal um, so this is Galaxy Quest first time we're naming it 1999 Galaxy Quest 1999 and this was one that I remember I getting back I had a memory that you and I saw this in the theater together but uh, for the first time I remember us walking out and really liking it yeah I, don't, I, don't I remember, really liked it when I saw it I don't remember why we were up <clears> in the <throat> air of why we might not like it because this was also the era which I don't know if, if with younger people they th- it still happens but when I was young, uh, when we were young, you and I, uh, and it also, I think because of technology, I feel like this also excludes you because you go to the movies m- m- way more than I do. But I feel like I would go out and give something I didn't know a chance. I saw like Mickey Blue Eyes in the theater. I saw, there's so many movies that I think of like, oh, I saw that in the theater, which I may never ever watch again. Yeah, yeah. But I feel like back then it's like, oh, you we're all going to see American Pie. You want to come? Sure. You know, or we're all going to see like freaking... You know the bone collector. You know, or you know whatever. And sure. it's and it's. I see. I feel like now I, I I go to the movies maybe once or twice a year. I don't have as much time to go now. I still try to go when I can if I'm not working. Yeah. Because uh, I don't like to go on the weekends. But um, I don't like to go. I mean, through most of college and definitely like the first like ten years, right? Three or four years, five years out of college. I probably went to the movies more weeks than I didn't. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, especially there was a time there where... Because you go by yourself. You'll just go. Yeah, yeah I yeah. would just go. And yeah. then when we were in college, me and the person whose name we don't talk about... Them. <laughs> who shall not be mentioned. Yes. We used to do dramatic structure class, yeah. and then we would jump on a bus and go to the movies. Like, the every week. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, when I was home from college... Uh, another kid that we went to school with turned out he lived near me, Adam Endres. Yeah, and then he and I would go to the movies like almost every day in the summer if we up there if we weren't working. And then when we graduated, me and Aaron, who got mentioned earlier, we probably went like once or twice a week. Yeah, for for years. Yeah, until there was just like we ran out of shit to see. Yeah, <laughs> you know. And then, uh, but now it's. It's weird. So then, that's the thing. It's like, is there? Did you run out of stuff to see, or is it just life changes and there's still people who will go see anything? Or because of technology, people well, are I mean, I ran, out, fo- ran out of stuff to see at those times. Like, yeah. I remember in the, in the summer, uh, our favorite theater, Adams, Adam and I's favorite theater, was the second run theater called Cine Ten. Okay, and it was two ninety nine. Oh yeah, to get in, and we would end up seeing everything in that theater in like the first three weeks of the summer. Yeah. And then it would be take forever for something new to get. <laughs> yeah, by the end of the summer, it's finally changing over. <laughs> to get put in there. And we'd be like, oh, we, we ran through everything. Yeah. And then it was only two nights and I, sometimes we would go again. Uh, and we'd go see like Dangerous Beauty. Like the weird, like whatever was playing there, we'd see we'd see every movie that was playing at that theater. And then- uh, But and you're that, doing that just because of nothing better to do? Or I mean, you enjoy movies, because the, the medium. Know, there's- 
few I mean, unfortunately, audiences have changed, but even then, I mean, audiences were great, but there's just, like, few places in this world I'd rather be than sitting in a movie theater watching yeah, a movie. Yeah, I like agree with you. If yeah, it's the experience you, is I right. Think you might have said it last week, or, and it's like, sure, or maybe it was in a discussion on uh, when you were doing promotion for your book. You're like, it's church. It's like, sure, you know, you go there and you be respectful. <laughs> You're talking about audiences and how to you it's like, I mean, to me it was like, you know, I don't go to church, but I go to like movies. movies yeah, of, it was like church. Is, like my, is the, my church. And, <laughs> like I go there to worship cinema. You know, and you know who told me that analogy is our friend who we brought up. Oh, we keep, we're bringing all these people up. People like trying to keep <laughs> names written down. <laughs> who the they family are. tree of uh, Saturday Night Movies. Mexican season. Alex brought that up to me. He said that he goes, up old Mexican <laughs> old Mexican <laughs> Alex. The kid who we made cry who we brought the uh, we bought Looney the old Tunes, Looney Tunes tape. DVD uh, tape, the VHS. Uh, we brought that up very recently because we were talking about voices and, and how people sound overseas, dubbed. Uh, and he said that to me. He's like, of course, man. He's like, you're going to, because I'm going to talk with an accent and be stereotyped. He's like, of course, man. He's like, you know, because I was telling him how I hate going to the movies because the audiences are changing. He's like, because the, the, the movies is for you, it's church, and up there on the screen is your is your sermon. Yeah. I was like, exactly. You know, I, I go there, you're paying how much money, and then you got to have nowadays with the cell phone. It's like everyone just having a flashlight and turning a flashlight. Yeah. On, and know? being in the city, it's bad, too. People walk in with, I mean, I went through a period where I bought food, but. Uh, you said people are bringing like people uh, bringing like pop, oh, full like Popeyes, yeah, chicken, yeah, <laughs> from out, outside like of the just movie really theater. messy and loud. And uh, I mean, I went to I saw with my old roommate Mike Stratton, uh, who Blake uh, lives was also with. a roommate of mine, oddly enough, yeah. for, for a little while. He I saw the the uh, Hulk with Ang Lee's Hulk in the theater with yeah, him, and yeah. I think I saw maybe. I saw a horror movie with him and the person in front of us brought like a child, you know, like, so the Hulk movie, the child was talking the entire time. I mean, like, like, you know, like one or two. So we were like, you know, we know it's a superhero movie, but can you tell your kid to just, and then the (laughs) the mother got mad that we were asking her that and she got confrontational. We're like, you know, you're behind us. The kid is screaming. And then we, I saw something horror movie and they brought like a newborn or an infant and then, you know, so we went and complained after this. Like, you should have came out. We're like, well, it's a half hour. You know, I'm not going to go out in the middle. To compl- I'm missing the movie. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're like, well, if they buy him a ticket or if it's under if it's under two, it's free. And I don't forget what it was. And it's like, so people were just making these insane decisions of bringing their. Well, when I saw, I mean, we're going all way off the <laughs> fucking here. You know what? I'm going to save this story for another time. Okay. Let's, okay. Get, let's pull this baby let's, back. Let's, let's get back on the road. <laughs> let's write this script. So, uh. <laughs> Let's see. We're talking about <laughs> Galaxy Quest from 1999. Uh, but to answer you, to kind of just comment on what you were saying about how you don't know, you know, why we might have thought we didn't like it. I think in general going- Before we saw it. Yeah, yeah. I think in general, <clears throat> for me anyway, comedies are iffy. Yeah. Comedy, you know, what we find funny is so subjective Yeah, that I think uh, there are things that are just funny, I think, that are universally funny. But I think especially in the 90s and 2000s- like this turnover of what you know we had had uh things like american pie and we were coming off of the adam sandler style comedies and i just think maybe it was crazy time it was just uh, you know you're hesitant because you don't know it's a comedy but you don't know what kind of humor it's going to be so uh and i don't think either one of us really would have objected to anything in terms of style of humor, but I think there are certain things that we probably would have enjoyed more 
than other things. And I think this one definitely fell into a kind of comedy that, you know, both of us just really enjoy, which is like not too raunchy. Yeah. Not that I don't like that kind of stuff, but I don't, I can't see this movie having, you know, the sensibilities of, I don't know, something like a Kevin, like clerks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or something, which I, which I, I don't have any objection to. No. It's just, I think this is more of a, like a wholesome. Yeah. Well, I was thinking that while we were watching it, it is a family. Like I, I now, I don't know because I'm older. Uh, I, I look for that kind of thing. You see what could, you could potentially watch with your kids. And it's like, this is a perfect movie you can put on with the kids and, and uh, you know, a family-friendly movie that's funny, that's, that, that I think kids would understand, that would actually get. And I think um, this movie has endeared itself and, and has become like a cult classic for a lot of people, uh, especially for Star Trek fans. And I think maybe the, one of the reasons why you and I liked it so much when we saw it was we got a lot of the jokes that were aimed at Trekkies. Yeah. Because, you know, you were such a big fan of the original series uh, and the others. I particularly was a big fan of Next Generation and then went back and fell in love with the original series. So it's funny to see this, them doing those jokes. And you, re- I mean, I re- still remember in the theater laughing about the rudimentary lays or, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, Sam Rockwell, all his, <laughs> you know, the red shirt jokes about him being like number six and all mm-hmm. that. I mean, it just, it, and this might have been the movie that sold me like on Sam Rockwell, like got him yeah, on my yeah. on my radar because he just steals the show. He's so funny. Yeah, I mean, this was one of his first like a more mainstream things that I remember. I yeah. mean, I knew him from other things. Ninja Turtles, you knew Before him. <laughs> that. I knew him from Ninja Turtles, of course. Uh, he was in one of those be- uh, HBO after, back- school. after school specials, which we watched his episode in Driver's Ed. Okay. Because his was, his was about drunk driving. Oh, really? And yeah. was he like, oh, it was like a call- one of those? He kills somebody and uh, he drunk drives. And how long is he? Uh, how long is he? How old is he? 16 or 15? Uh, or? I mean, I guess he's supposed to be p- playing that. I don't know how old he was in yeah. reality. And this was the same series that had the infamous Ben Affleck, ben Affleck uh, Aaron Henry story, Body to Die For, the Aaron Henry story. The Rage, right? Which was a big show for me. And my- <laughs> you know, we should go back for a minute because I, <laughs> even for my own edification, this series, was were these kind of publicly funded to be like, uh, at the end, uh, morality I, tales? I, you know, it's tough because I didn't have cable. Because they sound like almost PSAs. Yeah, they were definitely like an HBO version of after-school specials. And I think they were showed after school. Geared towards kids then. Geared towards teenagers. Yeah. And I didn't have HBO but my or cable, but my friends did. That makes sense too because you do think HBO was doing like Fraggle Rock, as we said. So they must have been doing children-centric programming. Yeah, yeah. And uh, my friends would always talk about, my friends in high school would always, you know, like ninth grade, 10th grade. Yeah. And they were my friends throughout high school. These are the guys that I made all those crazy movies Home with. Videos that, with yeah. Home videos That we talk about in, in other episodes. And we actually did a remake of the Aaron Henry story. I, and I, actually, which I've seen. We actually did two remakes yeah. <laughs> of the Aaron Henry story. But uh, they loved that Aaron Henry story thing, and uh, the, the person we don't mention uh, several times on here also. That, remember, they they loved that became a classic in our freshman year of college. Well, that's because I think I showed it to him. Yeah, uh, because eventually my friend, I think my friend Chuck taped it, and then we would watch it sometimes. And it had Ben Affleck in it. This episode. Ben Affleck was playing a, a guy who was on the. I think he was a football player who gets involved in. Uh, Steroids. And is it a true story? And they just... were all based on true stories. Oh, okay. And then at the end, you'd have like the person, the real person. Yeah. Give like a testimonial. What year are these? 
I mean, they got to be mid nineties. Okay, because, uh, I, because I remember, the only three I remember yeah. was the Ben Affleck one, uh, the one I watched in in Driver's Ed, which was the Sam Rockwell one, and then I remember one time I was at their house after school, and there was one with Callista Flockhart playing an anorexic. So are they getting teenager. big names, or are they just getting I think they unknowns? Were, they were unknowns that became big. And you names. remembered them all. Yeah, I would. Th- you should check out to see if they if this is a box set series. You know? <laughs> I bet you like I offer. Yeah, I was just saying. I bet you could find, I, 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 that's <laughs> right material for you to get. You know, to <laughs> I don't know what other back. ones, are, but I always remembered Sock, Sam Rockwell from that. Yeah. Then there was a movie that I used to have a poster of. I don't know if I hung it up when we lived together, but there was an indie movie, Dion and, and I, and, and many of you listeners grew up uh, in the at the, at the prime age of like the 90s indie movie boom. Yeah. Uh, independent cinema boom. And uh, there Search was a movie that starred all the Totoros called uh, The Search for One-Eyed Jimmy. Yeah, you had that poster up. And, and he's in, oh, he's Disco Stew, isn't no, he? That, no, that's John Turturro. But he plays One-Eyed Jimmy at the end of the movie. Oh. They find one Spoiler alert. They find One-Eyed Jimmy. Because I'm, I'm, I'm convinced Disco Stew on The Simpsons is a takeoff of... Disco Bean. Uh, in, on on uh, in Search, Search for One-Eyed, One-Eyed Jimmy. Jimmy with John, yeah. That's one of these movies where you can... Ne- I don't think you could ever make Sam, Sam Samuel Jackson's The Homeless Fisherman in that. I've only seen it once It's got a you. crazy cast. The yeah. guy... The, the, it's got Nick Turturro. It's got whatever the sister's name... The sister, the, the, yeah, the girl from The Sopranos, the Totoro sister. Uh, the, it has the guy from um, The Professional. Remember, Joe, he plays a guy named Joe Head. Yeah, that he. Yeah, I can't believe I even remember all the characters' names. And I, I remember movie. it's one of these movies you'd watch, and I don't, I don't know. I, and it's I, about a guy who's making a documentary about trying to find this guy, One-Eyed Jimmy, in yeah. this neighborhood, in this New York, like Brooklyn neighborhood or whatever. And how do these movies get made? Yeah. And I just remember, uh, what was the '90s? That's what I mean. And then you get these star, I mean, these up and coming. I mean, the guy was from the professional who plays Joe Head. He was, oh, you making you make movies like Stallone and uh, and and uh, and uh, staying alive. I just remember that joke. Right, so and then he's also in a funny indie movie. Sam Rockwell's maybe it's called Safe Men. Mm-hmm. With uh, it's him and I want to say Steve Zahn. I could be wrong. I can't. I, it's been so long uh, since I've seen that movie. And he's also in Matchstick Man, right? Which, Maybe. Which, but oh, and the other movie that came out that was a big movie for me because of the cast was an indie movie called Glory Days, that starred uh, Ben Affleck and Alyssa Milano. Okay. And Sam Rockwell, and so that was a huge movie. And what is that? Because that, that was a comedy. That, it was like a college comedy, and I was big, a huge Ben Affleck fan because of Aaron, <laughs> but is that for pre, the um, and Mallrats? He was in Mallrats by that point. So Ben Affleck, yeah, is that pre uh, uh, Goodwill Hunting? That it might have been days? pre. It might have come out after Goodwill Hunting because maybe of the success of Goodwill Hunting, but I think it was shot. Pre good goodwill because it's weird to see. I've seen I don't know. I saw another PSA, one of those things from like the eighties, and you see like it's a child Ben Affleck, and it's him like at like a rock quarry, and like he's like with a Mister Wizard kind of a guy, and the guy's showing him how like stuff's done. Well, he was you know (laughs) know, he's like we're going on a Ben Affleck tangent, but he was in a show that I used to watch in elementary school. On PBS, this might be the show in class. Okay, so that's they probably would be like it. once a week they'd roll in the yeah the, 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 the TV, media center or whatever the media center and there was a show called the uh, the Voyage of the Mimi. Okay, and it was a uh, it was the 
him and his grandfather and I think a couple other people, they were on a boat. And but then there would be like lessons, and they would be they would stop and be like, "Did blah blah." blah to my recollection, yeah, yeah. And there'd be questions. And he's like twelve or thirteen. Yeah, yeah. He yeah, was and really that's up. I think the the show. It's it's weird because I was but, uh, Glory Days. I want to say was probably made around the time of Chasing Amy. Which, okay, which was before uh, Goodwill Hunting, which is what ninety six or so. Or but anyway, so that's how I had a history with Sam Rockwell because Prior of all those that. because of all those things. Yeah. They used to have a lot of those So PSAs. that I definitely recognized him. When you saw it. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's fucking one-eyed Jimmy. Because some of those things, I remember being like in fourth grade or so uh, in the library and them rolling out the media thing with the TV. And then we watched a, a short about like this. It's a truck driver driving and it's almost like the... Uh, the stock of film they shot like Unsolved Mysteries on, you know, so it's like it's film, you know, so there's a, there's a guy driving at night and he witnesses a car accident like in front of him <laughs> yeah. and they're like in, they're, they're in like a, I don't know, he's, they're like in the middle of nowhere and he sees this car accident and he gets out of his truck and there's a, of course, there's a phone booth near, so he runs to the phone booth, he gets and he dials 911 and then the, you know, the operator's like, where are you? You know, you gotta tell us where you are and he's looking and there's street signs but he can't read. And, he, and then he starts crying. He's like, I can't read again. And then it, it might, like you're saying, it might stop. You, yeah, know? Yeah. you know, this is why you should learn how to read, sure, kids. Because yeah. back then, it's funny, you think about all the PSAs that they used to push on us now that have kind of been dropped, like about, um, you know, littering. Now there used to be a huge push not to litter, you know, clean the world up because in the 50s, 60s, and all, you know, the, the world was just filthy. And then they got kind of clean. The big thing was like, you know, mothers against drunk driving. And then the other one was, uh, listening to your headphones too loud. Huge PSAs on how yeah. loud your headphones... Because I feel like that's completely gone out the window because now when I'm lit on the train or whatever, I'm looking at younger people and they've got the, the iPhone earbuds in. Yeah. I wear traditional old-fashioned headphones that you just wear like the muffs like on your mm-hmm. ears. Like I can he- I have my stuff on. I can hear their stuff through my stuff and it's all tinny sounding. So I feel like there's going to be a whole generation of people who are going to lose their yeah. hearing because they're not, you know, they, they, they don't <laughs> they know any they better. Didn't have, they didn't have, have those, those PSAs. PSAs. <laughs> you know, it's like the buckle up. I remember when I was real little, I mean, I bet you a lot of people who are listening can attest to this, that we'd have, you'd have all your relatives. The older relatives would like be totally against putting a seatbelt on. Yeah, yeah. I had like, like, you know, you, my wife used to joke that like her, her grandmother would like lie. They put your seatbelt, she'd hold the seatbelt. So it's like, well, just click it at that point, but she's just holding it over <laughs> herself so it looks like, you know. And I remember when I was little, I used to really get mad at my dad. My dad didn't want to wear his seatbelt. Yeah. You know, and he's like, I was like, you got to put it on. You know, so I saw if I fight with him, I'm like, yeah, you're going to die. And it's going to, you know, you're not going to be here. So it's like, I, you know, that was a whole big push. Now I feel that's, that's completely, you know, yeah, people. I think that's just natural. Yeah, though. now people, yeah, it's like it's force of habit. You Unless know? you're in the back seat of like a cab or something. And I think yeah. still a lot of people don't do it then. Yeah, and I, I get a little worried. has a pretty funny bit about that. In he's the like, back. I don't know. He's like, I really, you always make sure you put on your seatbelt, but for some reason when we get into a cab, we don't put our seatbelt on. It's like, I guess because he's a, I think he's a professional driver. <laughs> yeah, which is completely crazy somehow these, some of these drive. And it's, I always thought it's weird growing up on a school bus. They never gave you seatbelts on a school bus, and those are yeah. hugely the dangerous. End, we had seatbelts, but none of us wore them. Oh, really? I never had any. No. I, I wonder if nowadays, if, if modern school buses have seatbelts or you know that kind of a thing. So anyway, so seg- Sam Rockwell. Yeah, so, so segueing out of the <laughs> PSA. a tough time staying on, <laughs> on track here. So, yeah, so this is the movie I feel like that really... Um, Really, you know, got him on my radar properly. Maybe and I'd recognize him. Apparently, he almost didn't do it. Yeah, he was <clears> going to do another indie film. He got the lead in an indie film, and it was Kevin. <laughs> Search for One Eye Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently, Kevin Spacey, who was, you know, still okay to like Kevin Spacey back then. Oh, he was uh, the bee's uh, knees back then. But he he talked 
Sam Rockwell into taking this part. Yeah. Well, even uh, we, we get into the. We, this was a project almost That's developed Guy by Fleegman. Uh, who who his his character? Yes, um, the role of Guy. Harold <laughs> uh, Ramis, I guess, was in, at one point. There was a big what if game. Yeah, with this, this is one because that's crazy. Where Harold Ramis is developing it. <laughs> Usually, we do the what if games at the end of the show, but we're gonna open it right up. <laughs> yeah, and they wanted uh, Alec Baldwin was almost cast as Harold Ramis was actually attached to it to direct for like a year or so. Yeah, and then, uh, he wanted Alec Baldwin, um, and then other people that he. They had reached out to were Steve Martin and Kevin Klein. Yeah, apparently. The funny thing is, as you go through the casting, the what if game of casting, a lot of the people that were being considered or auditioned for these parts were a lot older than the people that they got, got cast. Like David Allen Greer being the African American kid. Yeah, yeah. Or the other guy too that they had as a backup for somebody else, maybe Sam Rockwell's character. Yeah, apparently, like apparently Tony Shalhoub auditioned for Guy, Sam Rockwell's character. Sam Rockwell's character, and then uh, they liked Sam Rockwell, and so then they cast uh, Tony Shalhoub Chin. in in the, in the part that he had. But uh, other uh, ones, like you said, David Allen Greer was uh, was like a set was the runner up or something. Was the se- second choice for um, the Tommy Weber part? Who's the you maybe Daryl Mitchell and. Uh, like uh, Laliari, or the 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 alien woman who Tony Shalhoub ends up having a romantic interest in, and she was uh, Jennifer Coolidge was almost cast in that, and she was she was in American Pie, but she's also plays like that ditzy blonde in everything. She's a little bit old, you know. She's more like middle aged. She was in um, uh, Legally Blonde and. Uh, all kinds of things. I yeah. mean, if you saw her, she was also in all those uh, Christopher Guest mockumentary okay. movies. Yeah. But she's quite a bit older than um, Scorny Weaver. For this, no, for the alien. Oh, for the. Part. Okay, you said, yeah. Uh, Paul Rudd auditioned, although I don't know for what part. Um, and then other people, Just this was Justin Long's first cinematic appearance. Yeah. Uh, and the other people that auditioned for that part were Kiernan Culkin, or Kieran Culkin. Who's uh, uh, Macaulay's younger brother. Eddie K. Thomas, who was in American Pie. He was most recently in the show Scorpion. Who I actually like, and I think he actually would have been pretty good in this part. And then Tom Everett Scott, who I think, whether he was older or not, would have played a lot older. And he is best known as, in at least for me, as the drummer in the band the wonders in uh can't hardly wait oh okay not can't hardly wait that was uh the thing you do the thing you can't do hardly wait is another is that teen the, movie is <laughs> that, i was thinking of american pie can't hardly wait is the the overnight one right with with jennifer love hewitt and yeah yeah, yeah they fall in love at the house party with an embry yeah and which seth was around, green. The, around the part of around the time of american pie yeah but uh the thing you do and he like i he would have been I don't know if he was ever considered. Apparently, he auditioned for it, but uh, he would have been a very. I think he would have been too old for that part. It would have been interesting having Alec Baldwin play the lead because I feel like by that time, Alec Baldwin would have brought a kind of meanness to the character that maybe you could see someone of that person having. But like, like a bitterness. Yeah, you know, <laughs> where Tim Allen's more, more of a William Shatner, <laughs> Shatner in like the mid '80s, late '80s kind of, or maybe early '90s kind of a Shatner. You know. know, I've seen Shatner at 
convention. Oh, uh, yeah, so. and he's yeah, I've, he, yeah. I mean, he can turn it on, but when he's he yeah, when he wants, he's, he's over it. Oh, yeah, he was he's been over it since the seventies. I mean, yeah. yeah, but so if you go back to the to to uh, which I think is a really interesting fact to the to the sixties, there's a piece of fan fiction from Star Trek: The Original Series um, called "Visit to Weird Planet Revisited." And it was originally published in a magazine called Spock Spockanella Spockanelia in 1967, and then it was republished in the 70s in this Star Trek: The New Voyages. And it's a fan fiction where, in the story, Shatner, Leonard Nimoy, and DeForest Kelly are accidentally beamed up to the actual USS Enterprise in a crisis with Klingons. And you know that has either here nor there. I'm not in any way trying to insinuate that that had any influence on this story, yeah, but yeah. it's funny that that idea of the three actors then having to go deal with a real planetary problem, whatever. And I don't think that I haven't read the fan fiction, but evidently it's big enough that people Trekkies remember it. I I don't think it'd be played for laughs. It's probably pretty straight, you know. Yeah, I would know? think so. You know, they're, they're, when they, once they realize that you know all this stuff is real, they're going to help the galaxy. But you have um, this story, what is originally written by a guy, and it's called uh, Captain Starshine. Uh, David Howard write, writes a spec sh- script. Yeah, well, I mean, I would love to know more about this guy, just because this, he only has this and another movie that's from 2018 so on his IMDb page. So when you write a spec script for people who don't know out there, that's just when you, on your own, just write something that you hope that you can, you know, you're not writing it on commission. It's just like, oh, maybe I can write something, hopefully get it out there one day. So he writes this, and I guess it is picked up. It's bought, and... Um, it, it sits around for a little while, and then uh, they end up purchasing it, and then they have another person, uh, what's his face, the Gordon guy. Uh, the fisherman? Yeah, Gordon the fisherman. Uh, Robert Gordon ends up then taking the original spec script, rejiggers the story, renames yeah. it Galaxy Quest, and kind of changes stuff, I guess, and gets it to this closer to where we are now. Well, I think um, the producer, Mark Johnson... Uh, who also, who has an interesting career in that he started out as a young actor. And I don't know if he was from Spain or just happened to be in Spain. He started as a young actor uh, and he was in things like a spaghetti Western called Brandy um, and was like extra in some things, other things that were shot in Spain. And then he, I think, came to back to America, maybe went, went to school or somehow got interested in making films. And he was an assistant director on a number of movies, including Escape from Alcatraz, Hang, High Anxiety, and Sorcerer. Wow. And then he became a producer, uh, and he produced uh, Diner, he, uh, The Natural, Good, Good Morning Vietnam, Rain Man, Bugsy, Toys, Donnie Brasco, uh, Home Fries with Drew Barrymore and Luke Wilson, The Notebook, and uh, Don't Be Afraid of the Dark, which came out a few years ago, which was uh, also kind of produced and written by uh, Guillermo del Toro. So he became a producer, and he had a some kind of deal with, uh, was it DreamWorks yeah. that produced this? And he, so this script came across his desk, and he read it, and he didn't like the script, but he liked the idea. Which was called, at the time, Captain Starshine. <clears throat> and so then he commissioned uh, <clears throat> the other writer, Robert Gordon, who had done... Uh, I actually hadn't done a, a whole bunch of stuff in terms of things that got released. That's the other thing when you look at these IMD pay, IMDb pages, especially for screenwriters. There are screenwriters that have a very successful career in terms of making a living, 
and have never written a script that ever got made. Yeah. You know, so many movies go through development and never actually get off the ground. So it gets options, you get a paycheck, it goes and it's in option hell for it may, it may not it never get off the yeah. shelf. It may just or it may go into some sort of development or pre-production then for some reason dies and so people can make a or huge somebody living. else takes it over and then even though you're supposed to get credit maybe you don't like how it turned out so you don't have your name put on it uh, so I mean even though this guy Robert Gordon hasn't written <coughs> a whole lot of films that got made you know, but he did write like Men in Black too. he might have he might, he might have written a hundred movies and gotten paid for them yeah. that just never got Never went ground. anywhere. Yeah, yeah. So who knows? But anyway, so he's he, still getting paid. He gets commissioned to rewrite Galaxy Quest. Yeah, and he's a big Trekkie, I guess, as well. And uh, then he adds, I guess, some of these elements of the the to to make it. You know, um, I I wonder if if it if it's him who's adding in the the very uh, glaring similarities between the you know the the Star Trek the original series yeah. cast and then. The parody of the cast here with you know it's, yeah it's tough to know because apparently you know i would imagine that uh the original writer david howard was probably also a star trek fan or why would you come up with this kind of idea yeah yeah <laughs> you know unless it was just like i don't know i guess it's it's feasible that he might have just been like it would be funny he was if, a huge if, buck if, rogers and battlestar galactica <laughs> fan <laughs> hated star trek <laughs> it just seems like an idea that someone who was very into star trek would come up with yeah so if it was the basic concept that uh mark johnson was interested in i would imagine at least some of those elements were still in there but i would uh, but if robert gordon is also a huge Star Trek fan, like even the name of Sam Rockwell's character is a nod to Star Trek. To Next Generation, right? Yeah. yeah to, to, the, to there a, was this. Uh, uh, I think he works behind the scenes also, but um, there's a guy who's in like 37. Did you episodes. look at him? Did you look him up and see if you recognized him? I didn't see a picture of him. Yeah, but apparently he was in. He's in a ton of Star Trek Next Generation episodes. Like often, shirts, often or... in makeup. Okay. Too, like as a Romulan or a Klingon. Uh, and, and his name is Guy. His guy. His name is Guy Vardaman. In real life. Yeah, this guy, this person. <laughs> yeah. Who, uh, and apparently the name of uh, Sam Rockwell's character, Guy Guy Fliegman, is kind of uh, an homage. Although having him just be named Guy. Yeah, it's brilliant. <laughs> it's also just a brilliant joke. Yeah. <laughs> so, so. I mean, there's a lot of, I, I, so I don't know the last, I know this movie, like I remember the scenes and the plot structure, so I must have seen it more than once with you, but I couldn't tell you the last time I saw this. Oh, yeah. it's I had watch to it have often. Been. Oh, do you? Yeah, I'm a big fan of this one. Okay, I, I probably haven't seen it probably post-2002 or three. I probably watch it once a year yeah or maybe once every two years maybe there's been a, maybe there has been a year that i missed but i watch it pretty often i mean this was out when i was at the video store so maybe this was one that i would put on the on while we were so maybe that's that could account for why i know a lot of bits of it because yeah. it would be on in the background because and then so my point is i was looking at the subtlety of like the scene where with sam rockwell where he at the beginning of the movie when at, when he's when they're signing and he comes up and he's like you know, hey, I was on. Do you mind if I sit down? And you know, and he's in his outfit. He's just in his like his like leather jacket, or whatever. And then at the very end of that sequence, when Tim Allen gets mad and leaves, and he walks across. If you cut to the reverse, you see they're all they all watch him leave, and Sam Rockwell has added himself to the table and is in uniform. <laughs> so he changed into like the uh, you know the Stark the Galaxy Quest uniform. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's I find all. But his eight by tens are him now in the uniform. You know, usually it's yeah back then a picture of like a screenshot of them. 
from you know? the episode. And he's got he's got a, you know he's got this mustache in it. You know it's it's just funny and uh, you know the whole opening bit. And he, I like the, what do they call it? Questarians? Yeah, you know, he's calling everybody you know fellow Questarians. And it's just funny the the comedy. I mean even. You know, you're laughing at it. We had Alan Rickman on last month when we did Die Hard, but you're just laughing at the... I, I remember in the theater uh, remarking that, you know, you never see him without the the, yeah. the hairpiece, the the latex, you know, alien wig. You might see his hair at some point, but I love that. And then, like, he's so bitter, and he's like, I played Richard III on stage, and all, you know, you, and all this dichotomy of all these guys, and, and Tim Allen, I, I mean... Yeah, well, let's say, you know, other, other than Sam Rockwell, and we can talk more about him, let's talk about, like, the brilliance of this cast. Yeah. I mean, I'm no huge Tim Allen fan in general, but I... I mean, I watched Home Improvement sometimes. Yeah. Um, and I was never as big of a fan as Toy Story movies as you were, but or are, but I certainly wasn't... It wasn't that I didn't like them. Yeah. You know, like, I just wasn't as drawn to them. I'd seen them, and I liked them. I fine. saw... The, I just would have never considered myself a huge fan of them. I saw the first Santa Claus in the movie theater with the... I think the family went maybe around Christmas or Thanksgiving time. I think I've seen the second one. I don't think I ever saw the one with Martin Short in it, Mr. Frost or whatever that one yeah. is. Um, but yeah, I liked him just fine. I didn't watch Home Improvement growing up, but I never had anything it against him. You know, and yeah. then when it was in then when it was in syndication, you know, I'd watch it sometime. Yeah, and it was then never he, my it's never my story. He's yeah, it wasn't <laughs> one of your stories. Uh, he's in that show Last Man Standing now. I got to meet him a couple years ago. Uh, he was doing that Last Man Standing show, and then it got canceled, and yeah. then there was like a controversy of why it got canceled. So he came on, and I got to meet him, and he was very approachable. A lot of these people, especially of his stature, you don't know how they're going to be. Sure. You don't know if they're going to have a huge entourage. He came with two people. One of them, I think, was his wife, and he was like, hey, how are you? What's your name? And then you know, we're standing there because I, I do audio, so I wire people up, so I just started BSing with him. And then it got very funny, and he, I was doing I was making jokes with him. And then it never occurred to me in that situation to ask him about this or Toy Story. It's just, oh, yeah, you're yeah. Tim Allen. You know, I, I, so... He was a stand-up comic yeah. who created, like, this macho, the, the growl, the, the, the yeah, bark yeah. thing. That that was the 90s. I mean, it was always... A, sitcoms were always the case where kind of live-performing com, performers com, of comedy would get sitcoms. Yeah. I mean, were going to, you know, you know, back to even honeymooners and stuff. Yeah. I mean, those guys were coming out of live performance, I'm sure. And then, you know, Red Fox. Yeah. Um, with Sanford and Son. So it was always a thing. Yeah, if you're um, a good stand-up player, they'll offer you a show. And, you know, you Freddie can... Prince. Yeah. You know, uh, but so, but the 90s, because of uh, the, the, the late success of Seinfeld became such a huge thing. It, think, it seemed that there was a huge boom. Everyone loves Raymond. Yeah, and then you got down to Bray Little Raymond. But before that, you know, Roseanne. Nanny, yeah, Roseanne. But so the Tim, uh, he was all, but he, he, I mean, he's got an interesting past in terms of that he went to jail for, I think, dealing coke. Yeah. In well, his youth. And I remember when, when Tim, when, when Home Improvement was really big, one of those shows like Entertainment Tonight, they're finding like a video of him emceeing like a, uh, something in like in down south in the, maybe the early to mid 80s where it's like a wet t-shirt contest or something where he's swearing yeah. and people were like upset because it goes against his image and home improvement and he's like you know it was back when I was a you know he's yeah, a comedian yeah. back in the day I mean uh, reading up on his on his uh, a little bit about his history is that um his fa- he's he was born and and raised for a number of years in in Denver Colorado 
And then on the way back from a college football game, the family's in the car, the father's driving, his father's killed by a drunk driver in a drunk driving accident. Father dies. So then the mother uh, ends up remarrying. And he's 11 when he's in the car when that happens. And then the mother remarries, and then I think they move the family to Michigan. Or, no, I'm sorry, maybe Wisconsin or something. And then he's raised there, and then he, I guess, has these problems. You know, he maybe goes to jail for a little while. There's a notorious mugshot of him. And then he gets into, I guess, starts doing stand-up or whatever. Yeah. Or TV, and you know. And um, then he was in a... It's funny, because last episode, I think we talked about David Mamet. And he's in a David, another David Mamet movie. And I'm not generally <laughs> a David Mamet fan, but he's in a gen- David Mamet movie called like Red Belt or something that was more recent um, that I do like. I tried watching that uh, Last Man Standing yeah. on like Netflix, yeah. not when it was on. But yeah, I mean, I, I've always, you know, I never really thought, honestly, like I never thought any way about him until this and I liked this yeah yeah and, and I thought he was very good in this part yeah. well then that show I, and then since I met him that show got another I think it moved the Fox yeah, and now it's having it's, you know and yeah. I saw a couple episodes and I, I thought it was pretty funny but he I would surprise me was that he was such a nice guy when I met him and that we were you yeah, know, yeah. joking forever I was with him for like 15 minutes or whatever and he was really nice and you know uh, it was nice uh, so and I think he he is great in this like you know as that whole uh, Shatner-esque kind of a thing you know it's so funny the- well what's good is that he doesn't play it he's like not playing William Shatner yeah you know I think that's that's the strength of the movie I think is that they're not just doing some kind of weird direct parody of Star Trek yeah they're uh, you know they're just it's another show and there's Obviously, like you said, a lot of nods to it, but he's not playing Shatner. But he says he went. He was he was more kind of like trying to channeling Yul Brenner, which I don't necessarily see. But whatever, yeah. but whatever his <laughs> you know his uh, his system is, you know what his uh, process is, yeah. whatever it worked. I mean, it, he's good in it. Um, Sigourney Weaver is oh, great, great in it. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, they really were looking for someone who had never been in a sci-fi project before but she somehow she had seen the script and she really liked the script she thought it was really funny so they were looking for a lot of the cast to be like they wanted sci-fi non-sci-fi people and so she i guess somehow still got an audition yeah and she's great and looks great as a blonde yeah look yeah looks hot yeah you know uh tony shalhoub's great yeah uh you know he's coming out of wings yeah before <laughs> monk and all that yeah uh his character's very funny and I, we could talk more about that uh and and of course alan rickman yeah who's fabulous i guess wasn't a sci-fi fan and i originally passed on it i guess but then saw the i guess the brilliance in it and then was like okay and uh yeah he's he's the, the whole th- they, i mean everybody round rounding out the cat you know even daryl uh mitchell he's, uh, is hilarious in it you know and yeah, yeah. uh even the guys who play the uh the, the, what's his face? Like one guy, the lead that is the head of the alien. Oh, yeah, yeah. Who was on Just Shoot Me. And then he, I see him on uh, one of those NCIS shows. He's he's like uh, forever with like a baseball cap on, a SWAT team, and like a headset mic attached to him with a gun now. Enrico Cal- Calantoni. Yeah. Plays Mathazar. And I also noticed in the limo, uh, when they were coming over, bringing Shatner over with them in the limo, the guy who's in the American office. He's one of the he's and you see him later down in the bridge area or in the engineering area with Chaloub. 
He's in it. Oh, Rain Wilson, yeah. Yeah, he's the thinner. He's that was, thinner this then. was his first movie uh, appearance. Apparently yeah. he was in, maybe had done an appearance on a TV show or something, but this was the first time he was in a movie. And I think of his part, I think a lot of the stuff of the engineering crew got cut out. Yeah. Um, not that there was a ton, but apparently, you know, so his part got cut down a little bit. He's a big, he's in a movie called uh, The Rocker that I watch a lot. I yeah. watch a lot of the kinds of movies that I watch over and over again uh, tend to be comedies and off and often music related. And he plays this guy who is, a, he was a drummer in an up and coming like hair metal band. And, oh, I uh, think I have visions. I've see, seen stills. Later, and yeah. the other people in the band are uh, Bradley Cooper, uh, Fred Armisen, and the singer. I can't think of what his name is. He's the guy that does the voice of Batman in the Lego movies. There's, oh, Ermy. Uh, um, it's um. He was married to Amy Poehler for he, a while, and he's in um. And he he's in the Lone Ranger. No, so, no, no, no. Not, not our, that our early Ermey. Kind of looks like that guy, but no. He's he's more of a, com- like, in a, a comedic actor. But anyway, so, and then uh, they kick him out of the band. That then, guy was um, it was named the number one Batman of all time. The guy who voices the Lego movie <laughs> Batman by Batman fans. Well, not my opinion. I know, neither mine, but I'm just, that's why I figured I'd birth that fact up, that he was voted the number one Batman. Uh, uh, so he gets kicked what out. What year is that? That's got to be the early 2000s. It's one of the first things that Emma Stone ever did. Okay. And uh, it's before Bradley Cooper really blew off. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he gets kicked out of the band, and then it's like some years later, and they became a huge band. They're called like Masuvius or whatever. And they become a huge band, and then he is down and out, and he ends up moving back in with his uh, sister's family. Is he the lead in it? Yeah. So it's about him? It's about him, yeah. And he ends up, his his sister's... Jane Curtin, not Jane Curtin. The anyway, so but he ends up forming a band with the teenagers, like yeah. Emma Stone and his nephew, and and they end up becoming like a big pop band. And it's a really goofy comedy, but I I find those kinds of comedies like totally watchable, like this. I mean, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. not like this, but there's some movies that are just easy to watch. Yeah. <laughs> so when they're on, and the, they and most of these kinds of movies go through a period when they're on a lot. Yeah, and so that's when I get kind of into them when they're just like on a cycle, and then I end up watching them like five times in the span of like a month or two. Yeah, and then they just become like ingrained where every time they're on, like yeah, I'll watch that again. So like I know him best from there, but he was you're right, he was in the American Office movie. He's in uh, a lot of stuff now. I mean he he did a movie called uh, Hero, maybe. It was kind of an indie. I don't remember what it was called, but it was there was kind of an indie uh, uh, superhero kind of movie with um, man. I'm just like my brain is. I want to say it was done by the guy who did maybe the Galaxy Quest. Okay, it was an earlier film of his. I think the director. Yeah. Oh, uh, so he's thing? in a lot of stuff. He was in Cooties with Eli uh, with Elijah Wood. <laughs> 
Cooties. I don't know that one either. It's, a hor- it's like a comedy horror movie from yeah. recent years. That's actually pretty funny. It's funny because I'm so bad with names. Like half those people you named, I didn't know who the hell they were. And I, there's tons. Of, usually I'm really good with names, but there was yeah. a ton of people that I just like. Was, mm. I was blanking on. My my memory is just shot. Names. That's why I have to have so many notes because I can't remember anything. I never watched The American Office, but I, know I don't from, either. I know him from these other things. So yeah, I'd see him would, just because it's so much in syndication. You always see these trailers. So I and then I then now that you said it, I have an image of him. Like you know, with no shirt on and crazy hair, with like spiked bracelets on <laughs> yeah, from yeah, that. Yeah, must be from that, that movie. You know, rocket. so I, I noticed him there, in it. There's a lot, but there's a lot of those people. A lot of those people are familiar yeah. faces that play the uh, the the aliens. Um, Missy Pyle's been in a lot of stuff. Yeah, since then, including uh, some Tim Burton stuff. So she's she's had a pretty successful career. And her her role got a little expanded because I guess Spielberg. Um, first, I guess the casting director liked her so much, sent it to the director saying this has got to be her. And then when they, I guess Spielberg was visiting the set because it's DreamWorks or whatever, he's like, you know, she's doing a great job. Expand her role. Or he's, I know. <laughs> Something. He came down with his wand and was like And it's playing. also all this stuff is always yeah. hearsay. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows if it's really, what, what we're saying is any of it's true. Uh, there is a... I mean, for people who who may not know, there was a big incident in the 80s where um, Shatner was doing um, T.J. Hooker at the time, and he goes on Saturday Night Live to promote T.J. Hooker, and uh, he does a Star Trek skit. And in the Star Trek skit, it's him going to a convention. There's all these Trekkies at this convention, and I think it's like Phil Hartman is the head of the convention, and he intros Shatner on, and Shatner has this attitude like, you know, uh, get a life. I think he even says that. He's like, come on, it was a TV show, get a life. And he starts like yeah, yeah. pointing people out. Oh, and that becomes like a catchphrase for him. Yeah, well, it, well, it, it, he, he, he ridicules the people in the audience, like the John Lovett. It's like, come on, you ever kiss a girl? You probably still only live in your mom's basement. So by the end of the episode, like, you know, or the skit, Phil Hartman's like, you know, we're paying you. To so he's like, I was just kidding. You know, set your phasers on stun. And everyone's like laughing. And that became like very controversial. People got really pissed that he's, he's you know, calling out his fans and, and doing this. But it became that that was kind of like, I mean, I would think b- way before that, if I get maybe put into the public eye, the idea of these guys looking at Star Trek like Letter Nimoy a couple years before where they're not they're not looking down on it, but they're just kind of like they, they were all kind of semi-typecasted to a certain extent. Well, yeah, I mean, Letter Nimoy wrote a book called I Am Not Spock. Yeah. <laughs> And he was trying to do things in the late 70s to get away from Spock. And we did an invasion of the body snatchers and stuff. And he did Shatner, of course, was doing a lot of different things in the 70s. You know, and then they finally come back with the with the Star Trek, the motion picture. And these movies start, they, there's an audience, they start making money again. Star Trek is back in vogue. Well, yeah, I mean, vogue. I th- you know, I think there is obviously, I mean, the history of Star Trek is very interesting. And we talked a bit about it when we did Star Trek Six. The Undiscovered Country, but uh, from an acting standpoint, yeah, I mean, like it was three years at that, you know, at that point before the motion picture, it was three years of their lives. It was a failed TV show. <laughs> I mean, successful in that it got three seasons, but even the third season only got made because of fan outcry. Because right? of fan outcry, but it was going to get canceled. And you look at especially from the early days of that era and before there's tons of shows if you go like we just brought up that I offer there's tons of stuff with, that's within public domain of shows that came and went yeah. so, you know that people don't even remember episodic television and stuff after that that if you you could probably point out stuff in the 70s 80s and 90s of shows that are 
maybe not just sitcoms, but shows of that ilk that come and go. You know, we bring up Mantis, or we bring you know just whatever the heck, or <laughs> yeah. you know, Nighthawks. I was just thinking about Mantis. You know, or uh, I guess Airwolf was successful, but you know, there's shows that are kind of semi adventure that maybe don't ever get syndicated again. So it was really just. Uh, pure luck in the right time or whatever for Star Trek to blow up that way. Well, yeah, you know? I mean, obviously, clearly it, it garnered a, a very huge loyal audience. Uh, not a huge, but a hugely loyal audience yeah. at, a, at a time of its original airing. Not big enough for it to continue, but the the fans it had were very loyal. And then you also have to think that by the 60s and into the 70s, there weren't a lot of other television shows like that. Well, in general, so that the fact that it goes into syndication, you know, nowadays there's since then, especially because of the expansion of cable and the more channels producing more TVs shows, the, the amount of space that you have to air television shows in rerun or in syndication is, is very Small in comparison to the amount of TV that's been produced since the 70s. Yeah. So at the time, they, you know, channels needed to fill space and there just weren't that many shows to pull from. Yeah. You know, archives. You know, you have, of course, that's, that's, you know, you start getting the pretty, even before syndication of TV shows, you start getting like the Three Stooges, which were film shorts. And the Looney Tunes stuff. Well, they, and then you, we talk about. I mean, this they were another, pulling from cinema. <laughs> yeah, we talk about this in other <laughs> podcasts. Those slots. But like you know, them syndicating, bringing back all the old movies and horror that had a rejuvenation of horror, the horror movies, and then with Three Stooges, them showing those shorts on TV. I think in the fifties, they got a whole new career. In the early sixties yeah. or late fifties, they were making then feature length movies of Three Stooges, where they were taking the shorts, putting them together, and then doing like wraparounds with Curly Joe, and that yeah. got a whole new. So, like, by that era, you had a lot of, you know, I guess since you're saying, since the, you didn't have a lot of channels to choose from, it was more of like an a la carte menu. Yeah. You had more of a chance for people then to check out, see this, and syndic- even if you didn't like it or not, you it was take it or leave it in the, in the syndicate because it's on. Yeah. So, I guess, l- like some of these other shows I was just mentioning, if Star Trek came and went and then sat on a on a shelf for the rest of the time, wasn't That would have been it for yeah. Star Trek. But, but it, somehow it worked its way into syndication, and then it was in syndication when it started really getting a cartoon in the 70s it got bigger and then and they got big enough to warrant a cartoon yeah in the 70s and they started having the fans started having conventions in the 70s and so it just kind of grew post its original airing like it found its bigger audience in syndication than it had in its original airing yeah I mean it's like for instance you have Fireflies kind of I was going to say like even if you or to a lesser extent Firefly is more like that, but say you take a, a, a show like uh, the remake of the reboot of Battlestar Star Galactica, yeah, which was really big when it was on, yeah, and it was critically acclaimed, yeah, but it really hasn't lived in syndication no. since then all that much. No, yeah, I mean it, they made a couple of TV movies, you know, expanded on it. It was very successful for its what it aired. Like I said, it was it was it had a huge fan base. It was critically acclaimed, but you go to a, a, maybe even a millennial now uh, of the younger side of millennials or whatever the people that are even younger than millennials they're not going to know what it is. No, because it's not on now. Yeah. Whereas Fireflies had a little more syndication, but, but now, I still don't feel like. But it's not will. on now. You know, 
you know, Star Trek's on now. Yeah, Star Trek's still on. But Firefly's not on now. Yeah. Uh, Firefly had a little bit of syndication on things like sci-fi and stuff, and then, of course, they made the Serenity movie. Uh, and it lives on and now in comic books and novelizations and stuff. But, uh, you know, like I said, Star Trek and Star Trek Network, all the Star Trek shows are still on yeah. in syndication. Yeah. But those other shows aren't. And so, in a way, Star Trek and all those Star Trek shows are probably more recognizable to a younger audience now because they're on. They have yeah. access to them in a way that they don't have. Other shows that, you know, even though Battlestar Galactica was probably even a bigger show at the time that it it originally aired than Star Trek was when yeah. it originally aired, it's just not on. So yeah. it gets lost into, like, the, the annals of time. Yeah, it, <laughs> it goes right up the annals of time and it's gone right forever. It gets shoved right in those annals yeah. of time. And it's gone. And then it's gone. So you get in, you get the idea that by the 80s, these guys are kind of conflicted with, uh, I don't know how a DeForest Kelly would feel or those, you know, or, or doing, but, you know, certainly Shatner and Nimoy, you know, they were kind of like looking down upon, upon Star Trek. And then the, also the big, the controversies there's there's some really good books that came out in the past couple of years about star trek the first series it's like an encyclopedia for like season one season two where they go through everything it's really thick books and yeah. uh i wonder in there aside from technical stuff if they talk about any of the gossip on sets and stuff i think they might because they talk about a thing where like they used to steal like spock's bike or something and hide his bike or whatever but you hear these stories getting out where there was this animosity between cast on set where shatner was stealing you know, lines, or he was wanting lights to to to, to favor him, or sure. you know, he want to reshoot something. He demand a, a reshoot of a scene because he would claim something, but it was because somebody else in the scene had more of a part, so he wanted to try to ham his part up a little bit. So soon, or then the the unknown that Leonard Nimoy becomes, you know, a rival, a, a sexual attraction for people, and then maybe even eclipses Kirk while the show's on. So there's sure. a rivalry I mean, there. Spock becomes a the breakout star yeah so it's like you have this idea where there's all this animosity between and that's all stuff they pull from for galaxy quest where you have them all pissed off about they're doing these these conventions they hated and they you know they look down upon it and then you know tim allen comes tim allen's late and all this stuff it's all very funny and then the, that's the one of the things i think is great about tim allen's performance is he's not playing the bitter alec baldwin maybe would have I don't know if he would have brought that but yeah. it seems like he in Could later have. years how he's turned into you know um he's it's more of like the happy go lucky and then you could see a, a version of Shatner being like that but Shatner also like you said Shatner really turns it on and off I mean Shatner you, people forget Shatner's in his Jesus Jeez. mid mid to late 80s now I mean he looks great for his age comparatively but you know, for all the stuff he's he's had a full catalog. I mean, his acting goes back to the fifties. We've talked about that in um, the Star Trek Six movie we did last year. Uh, a lot of this in depth, but so this was just another job for a lot of these. I, I mean, everybody I think in the original Star Trek show were all probably seasoned veteran. You know, actors of like DeForest Kelly was a Western guy, or Leonard Nimoy was doing like Sea Hunter, like a lot of episodic TV and yeah. Michelle Nichols and you know Walter Koning and even you know. Uh, George Takai. So it's like, I guess back then you start to realize what ta typecasting is and stuff. And you see that a little bit with people like out of Seinfeld. What's his face? You don't really see um, 
what's his name getting much work anymore? I mean, I, he did have a little bit of a controversy. Oh, Kramer, yeah, Kramer, well, but but Michael Richards had a little bit of a thing happen. <laughs> but I mean, but like he, for a while there was like he couldn't do anything but Kramer. I mean, he's in like what U, U, UHF, and maybe he's in one of the Problem Child movies, you know, but. You know, a lot of you have the fear that once you do these shows, you're going to get typecast. That's yeah. Only thing you well, can I think get. he also he got started on maybe SCTV, one of those or Friday. Yeah, when they tried to do a like a Friday Night Live type show. Yeah, um, he came out of that world. I think probably of improv. I'm guessing improv comedy. Yeah, into and he might things. be in, he might be also in Transylvania. F- Three, five, six thousand, or six thousand. I'm six, getting the five, song. Six, five thousand. I'm getting the song mixed up with the movie with uh, the Gina Davis looking extremely <laughs> hot. Is that so? Uh, you get to see why there's this bitterness, and then that's that's I think one of the things about Tim Allen's playing. It's so like upbeat, and it's so. I mean, I guess to watch this more. The, I mean, I was picking up only. I don't know what how, what viewing this is for me, but all the little quirks, what he's doing, like when he gets into the limo and he's only talking to the girl. He's like, so what's your name? Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. so funny. And like, you know, and that house that he lives in looks like it's right out of like Michael Mann's heat. Is that where Wayne Grow lives? <laughs> Remember at the end when De Niro comes Wayne in? Grow. When he shoots the, uh, right, you know, right. where is it? You know, uh, Van Zandt. Or maybe it's a Van yeah, Zandt. Yeah, looks, it looks like he did pretty good for himself. He yeah. invested well. If, or if he's living off the residuals. Was, was really the, you know. I mean, I guess he, unlike Star Trek, the show Galaxy Quest, the show in, within the movie, was in the 80s. Yeah, like the early So they 80s. probably did sign decent Like royalty deals, kind of, you know, That just, only he's been, I guess. Unless he's doing other, maybe we're led to believe that he's the PR machine because they're saying he's doing things without him. So maybe he's living on that, you know, um, in the world of, you know, doing appearances and doing speeches or doing, you know, maybe he's, nothing is yeah, too, because yeah. they're, they're opening, when he comes and gets them, they're opening like a microchip uh, computer store. Yeah, yeah. So maybe he's just doing whatever he can do to get a paycheck, you know, that, so I love the, all the, the back and forth and then when they're on set and then, you know, Alan Rickman's so upset and bitter about, you know, <laughs> that he, you know, he played, she, play Richard the third and yeah well I think it's also interesting apparently in the in the shooting script or at least a a, an almost shooting script there was a line about how he had been knighted yeah by Queen Elizabeth and you know uh, so you can become a sir so he was sir and he's actually credited as sir yeah in the in the credits of the movie but he asked for that to be taken out because he said well then it doesn't go the logic of that I'm I haven't I don't get recognition would be Doesn't gone really with make that sense because I was knighted. Yeah, and so if they keep it in the credits, that might be even a joke that like he's been knighted since maybe you know maybe. since the new show, which is not you know I mean that's a leap, but that's so yeah that was a, a thing too where and I think I agree with him there you know yeah yeah you it's know a totally logical you don't want him conclusion to, he to want him to, to feel a, like he's a frustrated doesn't feel like he's achieved or five curtain calls <laughs> yeah, exactly. it's so funny it's all this stuff and even when the, when tim allen comes in and he's like did he go through his uh is, 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 is a panic or his panic attack yeah. already no, no in the middle of it so you could like this happens every yep. weekend yeah or every month at every convention they go to they, it's like a cycle yeah you know and, uh, you know, they get introduced, they come out and all that kind of a thing, and they do their little thing, and they have to say their lines or whatever, you know. And uh, Sigourney Weaver talking about, I guess, in, this, in the episode about her boobs and, like, you know, and I guess that really happened to, what's-her-face from uh, Seven of Nine, that I guess there was an article, like, in 
you know, TV guide about her, her chest and, you know, because she's another one that looks hot as balls. Jerry Ryan, maybe, or Terry Ryan? Something that sounds what, right. Whatever her name was from when cause 7 of 9 was huge when that came out in the... Um, Voyager. In, Vo- Voyager. In the late 90s, maybe. Um... So that that so it's funny that a lot of these uh, stories or, or or side things are kind of based on actual incidences in the lore of Star Trek. I mean, even the, you know you look at the ins and outs, like the the protector ship is designed. It looks like the next generation uh, badge that they wear, the communicator badge, how it kind of looks, or it's designed kind of backwards, or the um, you know what the call letters are, the. Uh, NTS is, you know, or what is that? Not the Enterprise. NTE. NTE yeah. You know, whatever. It's not the Enterprise. And there's so many. Or the, ship, the ship has another, just like the Enterprise had with like, uh, I forget what the number of the Enterprise is. But the Enterprise has, a, has a, but it has like a U, like the USS, you know, it's named like a ship. Yeah. Like a, like a, like a, like a naval ship. It's like the USS Enterprise and it has a number on, uh, like, you know, painted on, on the ship on, Galaxy Quest. It's the NTE. NTE like thirty-one twenty, and apparently that was like a joke of the of the prop guys, the the designers. <laughs> they they wrote they the did that and the, the NTE the NTE stands for not the Enterprise. Yeah, but what is it? Seventeen oh oh something. I forget. I used to know what the start, what the original Enterprise is called. Of Rizar. Yeah, we are just not prepared today. <laughs> <laughs> we're just we're all out of sorts. We're talking about. Uh, <laughs> A lot of uh, uh, PSA shows and stuff. So, um, you know, and then the idea, uh, uh, if we all remember our movie, uh, what's the name of that movie? Uh, yeah, man, we, the George Sagan. What's the name of the George S- Contact? With uh, Contact is the answer and the question. Contact, the movie with, with Jodie Foster that Carl Sagan wrote the, off the book. Uh, the, this is a plot point in that movie where in 1936, the first trans- TV transmission ever to be transmitted was Hitler at the 36 Olympics in Berlin, and he welcomes the opening of the games, and this is part of World War II. So that feed goes out into the, into the you know, leaves the planet and goes out into to, to, to the universe. The, the, anal, the, anals, the, the universe. anals of the universe into perpetuity. Or, so if you look at the idea of any radio signal, TV signal that it just goes out, leaves our atmosphere and just keeps going. I remember in the late 80s, you had the Disney Sunday night movies, which we talk a lot about, and there was someone about a spaceship and a space show. And the only thing I remember about this movie or episode is that the captain, at one point, they're going through like the space, and they start catching, you know, radio. So they start following, and they're listening to, like fifties, you know, like rock and roll. So there's a scene where they're like dancing because they've caught well, the even the radio the wave. Movie The Explorers was kind of about that. Oh yeah, because you're right. Because all those aliens at the when it takes that really crazy left-handed turn <laughs> at the end is that they've been living off of our television. television yeah so there's idea that like you know at some point and then that's the idea of why we sent the gold record up and maybe it was in voyager with with you know and and the uh with everything on it and i forget there's all that kind of stuff on which, maybe einstein which is kind of a little bit uh a little bit what starman's based on hmm. is that that movie opens with the satellite being taken out although it's not i think in the i want to say in the movie it's playing satisfaction by the Rolling Stones, but I don't think that's the record. Uh, they, the put, they had put music on there as well as messages. I think they put like Johnny B. Good or something yeah, like it was something. I think it was Johnny B. Good. You something know, by Chuck Berry. S- speaking of Chuck Berry, you were just talking about uh, millennials. Now I was getting my hair cut by um, a, a woman who's in her early thirties, and we were chatting. And 
we started talking about well, that Art, surviving Art Kelly show. And then I was saying, well, my friend told me about Chuck Berry. And I was telling him the Chuck Berry thing you were telling me on Howard Stern, which we don't need to get into here. But I was talking to her about Chuck Berry. And she's like, who's Chuck Berry? And I was trying to tell, try to give her a frame of reference who she's Chuck Berry is. She's not much younger than us. I know, but that's talking about how niche I think we were of you know, looking because we were music fans, we liked that era. Yeah. Well, you could be our age, and you may not even know who these people are because you know, if they're not in your in your focal length, you're not going to know who BB King or Money Waters or I mean, <laughs> yeah. we didn't know who they were at some point. So if we never had the introduction to them, so I was trying to explain to her like, you know, remember Back to the Future? That's what he's playing. Or and then I was like, you know, uh, it was Christmas time, so I'm like, uh, you know, roll over Beethoven. Or I was like, you know. Run, run, Rudolph. And she's like, oh, I know that song. I'm like, okay, there you go. You know, <laughs> but so it's, you're getting to a point now where I think we've brought up on the cast before, which I can't pin down that, you know, uh, and it's something we keep, we always talk about that. It's just, I don't know if audiences are getting ignorant, but it's just that there's so much out there. People aren't going to. I think that's part of it. You know. Th- there's th- just too much competition. Yeah. So, you know, so there's a lot of history that's not getting remembered because it's not in front of your face. So uh, she didn't know who Chuck Berry was. And I was like, wow, you don't know, who, you know, the freaking him and Elvis. Was like, start rock and roll. <laughs> yeah, Chuck, Chuck, Chuck Berry Chuck practically Berry. invented rock and roll. No, you don't know. So um, uh, why are we talking about Chuck Berry? Because right, the, the, the satellite. Well, the satellite went out. So, so you have the, it's conceivable that, that or it's, it's, it's an interesting plot device to have that aliens pick up on a signal. And we learn... I, I hadn't remembered. I thought the only thing they'd ever seen was Galaxy Quest, but no. they <laughs> they talk about and this is another true the historical document. Yeah, uh, they they must have seen everything we've done, but then they just honed on Galaxy Quest as the thing to help their culture. But they talked about Gilligan's Island, and they bring up all oh, those uh. poor people, <laughs> and that was a real thing back. I mean, I don't know if people can actually believe this, but I had heard this prior to reading up on this. But back in the day. People almost thought that was real. This really happened to these people because some people just don't. It's the idea goes back to like where uh, Ernest Borgnine was talking about when he did From Here to Eternity, and then years later, for the rest of his life, Italians were mad, and I'm like, "You killed Frank Sinatra." He's like, "I didn't kill him. It was a movie." You know, it's like people don't. <laughs> He's still alive. Yeah, people don't realize that like movies are movies, and so you know, I'm sure there's other situations if we think about we can come up with that audiences just don't think about. Oh, like the idea we brought up some years ago where when Apollo 13 was going through that problem, they broke in to programming and people called and complained, like, turn back on, like, Bewitched or I Dream of Genie. You know, we want to see that because they're more invested in that than the breaking news because that wasn't... So it's just, you know, people aren't really... it's, It's interesting, the ignorance of people where they're not dumb, they just don't have the smarts because they don't realize... I mean, even in our media... When we watch, you look at like those, the evolution of the uh, docu-drama horror movies, the found footage films, you know, yeah. when, when that, when, when uh, the Beow, not Beowulf, when Blair Witch. Blair Witch first came out, for a minute everyone thought it was really real, and then yeah. they did like a sci-fi documentary, which seemed like they put more money into the documentary than they did Blair Witch, <laughs> and it was, and I thought it was real, and then you, yeah, yeah. then you go, why? Well, you they go, even point back to like people thought Texas Chainsaw Massacre was real. Yeah, so when you go watch these things, like Blake and I were in film school at the time, so you start looking at the logistics of how they did this. Like they can't, this can't be real because how are they getting, you know, so you start, but people don't ever think about that. Like if there's yeah. a camera here, a reversal, you know, like uh, there are these new, and this is stupid, but there's like these new commercials for this thing, which I think is pretty neat where it's like, you can like, it's kind of like Skyping with your relatives, but you have like a monitor 
uh, like a, it looks like a, like a, like an iPad or whatever, and you set it up, and then you can talk to your parents or whatever, and you can have conversations. If you can't be there, they'll be with you. And what you, what I'm noticing in the commercials is when they're showing the two shots, one of the cameras start following the person around the room, you know. And these things don't do that; they're just yeah, stationary, yeah. and they're just like it's like you know with a, with a cell or with a cell phone camera or a computer camera, but educated audiences don't realize so like you, you're starting to see close-ups or whatever so sometimes you have to see in the bottom like this is digitally enhanced this doesn't really happen <laughs> you know you see that stuff so well you know the, the, the tech in the context of galaxy quest that is kind of this brilliant idea and maybe they, they just thought of it in terms of logistics of you know how you know what kind of people would believe that the what the things they're watching are historical documents so they ended up creating an entire like alien race where deception they're like they're naive to like lying that or, lying and yeah. deception and so when you think about it in terms of you know that's what storytelling is you know even if it's based on a true story it is an embellishment of the truth yeah you know so it it becomes an interesting plot device in that sense and we were talking about tim allen um he was up for also bicentennial man at the time which I, it's a movie i still have never seen full disclosure seen not that i have didn't want to it's just i didn't get around to it and he turned that down and then that went to robin williams and that's the one about robin williams is the robot i think yeah and that would bit would have been interesting to see him do that movie and how that would have done and then where his career would have went from there to do uh, a movie like that um and it's, you know, I think maybe Sigourney Weaver points it out. This goes to the idea of almost like that Wizard of Oz kind of a plot. where well, those, she, yeah. yeah. She says, like, that's one of the things that dr- attracted her to the script. And I think, one, I think the the casting of Sigourney Weaver is brilliant and that she's so known for science fiction. Yeah. But to play, Being like, heroine. someone, not the polar opposite, but a different kind of female character in the context of science fiction other than Ripley. She's playing like a sex symbol, but like a sex symbol that's there for the sex. Well, I mean, is she kind of like more like a Troy, a Diana Troy, maybe? Because like Ripley clearly is a sex symbol. I mean, near the end of the first alien, they're trying to show that off when she's in those really small knickers. You know, <laughs> yeah. you can see like her ass crack and stuff. But she is certainly like a man's man. She's taking actions, you know, where in Galaxy Quest... She seems like she's a character that she's hanging out of her outfits, but she could easily become like the woman they have to save. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. She may get out of a situation, but very easily we have to go down and save her but because she's strapped to a she's bomb. She's playing a very different yeah. kind of... But it works. Someone, and someone very different than herself. Yeah. But it, it, I think it definitely works, and it's like this nod to science... It's another nod to science fiction fandom Yeah, by having her in that movie. And she says a joke, too, right? At the end of it, she's like, oh, you gotta go into ducks. She's like, why the ducks again? Because they're, <laughs> they're going in ducks and aliens and all an alien, you know? But, uh, yeah, she says she was drawn to it in terms of... The, it was like this Wizard of Oz story where the, the characters... Uh, almost have to they almost gain an appreciation for what they have throughout the course of the movie yeah you know they have to, they have to change and they're by you know through this wild crazy adventure of being swept up by a tornado or going into the rabbit hole or whatever they you realize know, they have what they what yeah, they were longing they were for. down and out actors who kind of had regret for having been a part of this tv show but you know, they resentment. Have, yeah, they, yeah. they kind of have to, you know, mooch off of it to survive. To the, at the end, it's like that's what made them heroic. That's what made them special. Yeah, and and it's that 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 fan base ultimately, which I think is 
something that we need to talk about more, uh, you know, once we get past some of these other aspects of the movie. It's that fan base that actually saves the day. Oh, it's Justin and, Long, and, and I'm the, not a fan and, of him, and, but he's great in this movie. And their connection yeah. to that fan base, which is what ends up saving, you know, saving the day. And, and they end up becoming heroes as opposed to people you know, reluctantly going out to sign autographs of these things. Yeah. You know, just like Dorothy has to, she wants to go away, but at the end, she there's no place like home. Yeah, or know? the Tin Man, but he's, he wants a brain, but then he's the one who conceives all the plot and the, the thing. So at the end of this, at the end of The Wizard of Oz, the realization. Yeah, the wizard gives, you know, you already had a brain or here's a diploma. You, you already had courage or you already had a heart. You know, it's you already had it. You just had to be put in a situation where you were tested and you showed those abilities which they do here which I think is another great theme in movies and stuff that they that here is really you know we're, and so I uh, which in some ways is very much like the kinds of things we were talking about last week with Willow and Star Wars yeah and Last Starfighter yeah all those kind I mean of, it's not as directly like on the nose I was gonna say as, with Emmett Otter and all as, as that I you know like I, a kid who wants to leave the trailer park or leave his uncle's you know, yeah, moisture farm or whatever, yeah, evaporator farm, and and go off on an adventure. There are people that don't even know they want to go off on an adventure, yeah. But it's through that adventure that they kind of find themselves and their own heroism. Yeah, and it's a great, it's certainly a great theme for they they utilize here. So they, they I mean, and then the, um, the planet that they're from is also an, they're what called the theremins, almost like the theremin, like the the, mu- the like the instrument. Uh, no, there's like Thermians, 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 and their native planet is Klaatu Nebula, and Klaatu is also another reference Klaatu. to Klaatu from <laughs> um, <laughs> from Day of the Earth State still. <laughs> yes, which also obviously that that's used in many things, including Army of Darkness. Correct, an homage to that. Yeah, Day of the but Earth is still 1951. It's funny because you know in research they said like there's an homage the Klaatu part is an homage to. But then I saw some other thing that was saying, like, are they related to Klaatu? Yeah. Like, is oh, it, that's interesting. Is it not necessarily just an homage, but is it a, 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 like a genuine connection? That's because you're right. Yeah, because, I mean, <laughs> though, though that race in the day the Earth still is very much above us because they want to destroy our planet because all we are are just a bunch of fight. You know, you look, all you do is kill yourselves, you know, that yeah, kind of yeah. a thing. Uh, that's an interesting idea where they're, they're above us in, like, uh, um, another society or another level. Um, so they get so it's great when they the, the aliens show up to take him, and then you know the whole idea is he doesn't get it. He thinks it's another parents. They take him up, and then <laughs> you know, uh, uh, and then they have to. Inv- it's it's great for them to inv- and to to make names for stuff like instead of it being like space dock, it's a star uh, port, yeah, or like uh, them beaming, uh, uh, you know, instead of like beaming people from the planet, you, you get they use like this. You know, you get on this round dome, and this goo comes over you, which almost protects you like a like a, a ooze, and then you get shot. Yeah. Although so, there know. is the also the beamer thing because that's what they have to get him up from the. But they just never used it you know, because it's made for our organs. Yeah. Or, or yeah, testing was unsuccessful. <laughs> and even that, when you get to the rock planet with, where they shot in Utah, that whole thing. I remember seeing that, laughing my ass off with you in the theater. And, you know, that's funny because that's an inside joke as well where Star Trek V, the one that, this is the one that Shatner directs that a lot of people don't like or it's considered, I guess, in the canon to be kind of, not a failure, but just... But a, one of the least you know, favorite and that of night, the series. I mean, that may not necessarily be... Uh, 
because of Shatner directing, but there was a lot of other issues they had on set. But he had, I don't know that story well enough, but there was an idea where at some point he wanted to have rock creatures yeah. in a scene, and they couldn't do it because of either budgetary reasons as well as maybe stop-motion effects or computer there effects There was something the about, like, I, I don't recall. I read his, he has two books. He has... He's got more than two books, but he has two books that are about Star Trek. Yeah. And he has one that's about the TV show, and then he has one later one that's all about the movies. And How old are they? 90s, maybe? Maybe okay. the first one is in the 80s. But uh, he there had something to do with five is that they end up cutting his budget like significantly. Well, the, 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 one of the big things I do know about it is you have, you know, when four is out, you know, you have this big budget and you have the big special effects. And... For whatever reason, when they go to do five, they cut the budget and they switch special effects companies. And they go to like a New Jersey special effects company, which is like terrible. So they're doing these terrible effects or like even to the point like where, you know, they're, they're like using footage from other movies or when you see the ship come up, you know, you can see like the lines around and the ship doesn't even turn right, you know, yeah. like when it comes by. Like they're doing a lot of terrible special effects for that. So maybe this company just couldn't even pull off what he was looking for. Yeah, it's just it was... Uh he was. It's almost shorthanded. I yeah, think, you know, was, in the in the say, kind of zeitgeist of all the other ones. Behind his back, you know, trying to make that movie. And apparently. it's it's sad because of you know, leading up to it, those were all great movies, and six is fabulous, and you know, I actually like five a lot. Yeah, to be honest. No, with I, you. when I you know I haven't seen it recently, but when I watched it, whenever I rewatched them all, I thought it was perfectly fine too. Yeah. You know, um, I even remember it ending kind of like the first one, right? David Warner and they meet the God character, and it's almost like V'ger, a V'ger type character. Yeah. The only know? thing that really stands out t- about that movie to me when you watch it, and like, if you watch it now, the campfire the, the thing would be <laughs> the wraparounds, <laughs> the whiskey and beans, <laughs> dangerous combination. Uh, is if you watch it now, there must have been a lot of reshoots because Spock's like half brother character in that movie his hair length changes oh. like significantly well i bet you that was many the, many times the, the, the continuity person was probably the, li- the least of their worries they were at the time with all the like, other that's problems that's the big thing that stands out to me it's like man it's like that not even close he's got like short hair then he's got like shoulder and you know you think about shatner in the in the in the span of his career you know people know we talked about this again on star trek six's podcast but people don't remember where when he was doing Star Trek Five into the late 80s when he's doing Rescue 911 and he's doing like Tech Wars in the 90s, he wasn't really a parody of himself yet. He only became kind of a parody. You have what? Trekkies comes out and there's that other movie. What's the movie where it's like, it's like searching for, it's like a Star Trek movie where they go in search of him and they find him and he's oh, in uh, You know what I mean? Talking about... But he kind of, that's the first... Free Enterprise. Free Enterprise. That's the first time yeah. you kind of get him parodying himself. Then he, like, starts to do that a little more, and then he's in that movie uh, Showtime, maybe? His Showtime, the one with De Niro and... Yeah, I think that's what it's called. Eddie Murphy or whatever, and he's, like, hamming it up as T.J. Hooker. And then by the early odds, then he's completely in, you know, with when he's doing Boston Legal and all that. He's like, okay, you know, and then he becomes... He rolls over, has the second life as a parody, and, that, and then doing, like, the... Um, uh, those travel uh, internet commercials of uh, up negotiator. You know he coming in. And oh he's yeah, yeah. Priceline. He's doing Priceline commercials. And then he does those albums with Ben Folds. Yeah, you know, and he's and he's then he's doing the he's yeah, he does a couple more of the spoken word albums. So and th- now he's kind of almost in this other period where he's not even in like a a parody anymore. So this was pre him 
going that way where I don't think Tim Allen's a parody in this movie, but it certainly didn't foresee where Shatner ends up landing, you know, five or six years later in the, in the context of the well, world. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, Dion, you know what goes hand in hand with a sleepover? What's that, Blake? Well, when we were kids, it was a sleeping bag. But these days, it's a bed. And you can't have a comfortable bed without a comfortable mattress and pillows. Exactly. And if you're a regular podcast or radio listener, I'm sure you've heard about Casper mattresses. Casper products are cleverly designed to mimic human curves, providing supportive comfort for all kinds of bodies. And I don't know about you, but I sleep hot. I sometimes even need to get up and change my shirt in the middle of the night. And Casper is coming to the rescue of hot sleepers everywhere with a breathable design that helps you sleep cool and regulates your body temperature throughout the night. Plus, Casper has three different types of mattresses to choose from. The Casper, the Wave, and the Essential, as well as other products like pillows and sheets. And by cutting out the middleman and selling directly to the customer, their prices are very affordable. And of course, don't forget that shipping in the U.S. and Canada is free. Casper mattresses get delivered right to your door in remarkably small boxes. And if you're not completely satisfied, returns are hassle-free. So now for the deals. Saturday Night Movie Sleepover listeners can get $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com sat and using the promo code sat at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. That's right. That's $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com sat. That's S-A-T. And using promo code SAT at checkout. Of course, terms and conditions apply. You know, Dion, with all this talk about mattresses, I think I'm going to log on as soon as we're finished this podcast. You spend one third of your life sleeping, so you should be comfortable while you're doing it. Yeah, well, what's, you know, one of the things that's uh, interesting in terms of plot or, or narrative structure or character study of Tim Allen and this Tim Allen's character of Jason Nesmith in this movie is that um, I, I find it interesting if you if you you know if you step back from it in terms of entertainment and just watch it as for more cinematic studies purposes that you know he's for all intents and purposes first time we see him and for a lot of that convention scene in the beginning is he's very into it yeah. We don't have any indication yet that he turns it on for the audience. Yeah. He walks in, he's like, let's do this. I mean, he shows up late. Yeah. But but it's like, because he's partying or something, but, you, know? you know. But he gets there, and then he has the experience when he goes into the restroom. Yeah. And he hears people making fun of him, which apparently happened to Shatner. It's a realization almost. And he real and the, like, I don't know if it's that it. it so if, supposedly if Shatner, that, if that it's a real, like a total realization, or if it's just a confirmation, like a like, or a reminder, a reformation. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's and the, then he turns every, and then he shuts down. And this is which Shatner. This happened to Shatner someplace where it was. It wasn't the other crew chewing him out. The other cast members. It was yeah fans. He was in, and fans were mocking. Oh, the, much like in the movie that yeah. they were saying, like, "Oh, look at these idiots. These are has-beens." And so he, for the remainder of the convention, he's you know, not lively and he's short with Justin Long and his friends and he storms kind of, off, you know, and he storms out and then he gets drunk at home and he starts to have like this, you know, existential, like, you know, like meaning of what have I been doing? Like, which is, I guess is what sh- happened to Shatner. Shatner kind of must've had that. Yeah. And he, you know, 
I mean, there's stories where Shatner would like lived in a in a van down by the river in the seventies. Oh, 70s. he lived in, like in a trailer. Yeah. Oh, he was in a tra- like a proper trailer. Well, because he couldn't pay I his bills. I think it bills, was like or... a Winnebago. Yeah. Just yeah. Oh Jesus. Well, he had a, there were some lean times there post Star Trek. I mean, in the seventies, I mean, he would occasionally get guest spots on shows like yeah. you know, like he's in Columbo, Columbo, he's, and he's doing a lot of TV movies at I the time, Woman and the Magician. <laughs> yeah, with Bill Bixby. <laughs> you know, he would get these guest spots, but he really didn't. He went through a pretty lean time there. He got a divorce. Yeah. You know, you, you, t- you know, there's all there's whole, that whole aspect of things. It's like you sure you get paid. You might get paid fairly well for a TV show, but then you got to pay your agent, you got to pay your manager, you got to pay your lawyers. Those those are all commissions. Then you get a divorce; fifty percent of that goes to your wife. Yeah. He has, I think, two or three kids. That's all alimony. That he's, you know, so he's, you know, in the seventies, he's living like literally in like a Winnebago, like and doing <laughs> like Kingdom of the Spider, or, uh, the other uh, the Devil's Reign. He's doing a lot of. He's showing up. There's a great TV movie horror movie up in this ghost on a plane he's in that so it's like he's doing whatever he can get yeah in those times i mean the the character of jason nathan seems to be doing f- pretty well for himself uh financial financially the tim allen character but uh he has this moment of you know and who knows how many times this moment happens to him you know, we don't know. There's no history, which I think is, it's interesting. And then. But it almost seems like the first time for me. Like, you kind of, you know, like it's something like maybe the other characters already know. But he's still living almost in the past where he's coming. He's like living, he's like living within that world. So he's like, you know, because all, you know, he's got these, there's, you know, there's women who are fawning over him here. There's nerd, you know, so it's like he's living high on the hog. Yeah. And then he realizes what all these other people have realized long ago. Is that it's the realization? It's like shit. You know, they, yeah, they're right. This, we are has been living in our in an eighteen year old show past yeah, or yeah. whatever. And he gets, he thinks that the 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 the, the Thermians have come for a job. I guess they, he thinks that they're they just want him to come and command the bridge. For well, there's yeah, <laughs> they're, they're like you know, they're they're set. It's a weird it's a weird world where you you know p- they, people will get paid shit told. It's, a lot of this ha- happens with musicians, you know, where you get paid a crap load of money. I mean, you can get anybody to do anything for if you have the money. I mean, you can have Elton John come play your birthday party if you can pay him fifty or sixty thousand dollars, whatever he wants. Yeah, yeah. So sure it's, it's more than that. Yeah, Elton John. But <laughs> it's like you know, but it's like my point is you could you can get. So I'm sure these these people end up getting weird. Like the only thing you really find out about these things is like when you have like a Bernie Madoff or somebody who there's a financial collapse and you find out how much money they were blowing you there's home video of you know well there's the they're clapping playing their 16 you know it's like yeah, you know it's a lot like, of rich people do the hire people for parties and the, they'll do it Tom because Petty, it's, the heartbreakers used to do things like that yeah well I mean it's, there's nothing wrong with that and you're getting paid no, I mean, you know it's, it's a gig there's even there's this, I don't know if you know this about this you, you probably do but there's this I guess this website called Cameo yeah and you go on and you pay. Oh, and if someone says something to yeah, you, yeah, you can get somebody messages for it. Yeah, so that's like you know, like Gary. That's like Corey Feldman and Debbie Gibson. Yeah, they'll and, say, "Hey, happy birthday, Blake," you know, or whatever. And it's like fifty bucks. Yeah, <laughs> for some of these, just things. give you a shout out. But people will do it. You yeah, know? and so I'm sure his character Nesbit is uh, Tim Allen is is. You know, oh, he he thinks he's going to a gig, and then yeah, it's kind of cloudy. Of, and I guess maybe we're also looking at it through the through the the glasses of his hangover of what he, he thinks they want him to do there. But yeah, it's yeah. maybe he thinks there's you know he's not seeing any well, cameras. Even post, you know, when we lived together in Yonkers, there was that rise of the probably not a rise, but a rise into the popularity because of the internet of accessibility of some of these Star Trek fan shows. Oh yeah, okay. And like one of them has that set up in 
like near Lake George, yeah, that you can go visit where they rebuilt the the original set so from the, the original. You specs. had you had internet people doing fan uh, shows Films that were so, or series that were so popular that they, that everything looked accurate. They had real sets that they were actually. Then your point is they were drawing in actual actors from the original yeah. series. Well, you and I watched ones that had like George Takei and, uh, and uh, Walter, Walter Koenig and uh, the other guy who played in the Doomsday Machine the episode Doomsday Machine and the one the woman that played Marl. Marlena in the Mirror Mirror episode. She was in that episode too. Yeah, coming so, back. And who knows? I mean, this was before those, at least before I was aware of them. Yeah, the advent of those. Yeah. But uh, he could have just been that. Like, he's just he's he, showing up to do a scene in a, in a uh, fan film. Yeah, that he's getting paid for or whatever. That he's, you know, that you're only having a half hour or 20 minutes. But it is kind of like it's a funny situation. And it plays into something that I think is very interesting about the theatrical. Uh, exhibition of this movie which is he does the scene he comes in he thinks he's doing whatever and he he doesn't even put on his uniform he's got his sunglasses on and he's sitting in the in the kirk chair and he's and saris comes up and he's like well that's that's actually pretty <laughs> he's talking to him he's like yeah that's really good how'd you do that <laughs> the makeup effects like, well you know fire the blue torpedoes fire the red fire mall and, yeah. like, and then he and then he walks out and they're like well what are you gonna do what about this? he's like oh i gave him both barrels yeah it's all right and he's like just uh you know send me i just want to go home and what's interesting one of the things that i find interesting and it's something that can't really be done to full extent i mean it can in on television but when they screen this in the movie theater oh the aspect ratio the aspect ratio it's it opens with footage from the original show yeah which is in 43 which would be tv f- square for old the, school television yeah. framing it's a box and then when it, and then when it comes into the reality of the convention, it expands to one eight five, which is movie, which is like the typical sixteen nine, yeah, uh, TV ratio. ratio. And it's that way all the way up through uh, when he when he's on the the Thermian ship and he wants to go back to Earth, and they close the doors and he's standing there on the platform and then he gets sucked in the goo. Yeah. And then when the sh- when the ship like doors open and he's looking up space, at space. It t- the aspect ratio changes again to two three five, which is wide wider. Screen. Which is also it's in a sense a lot like Wizard of Oz, which started out in black and white, and then she opens the door and, and she's then it's, in color. It opens the color, yeah. you know, and then it's like when she's in Oz, it's like oh my goodness, but yeah, like Technicolor, uh, which is a, a brilliant f- for. Uh, Film nerds like us, that, yeah, uh, you know, where aspect ratio, and I don't remember noticing that when I first saw it. I mean, clearly the four three thing, but you think it's yeah. just because you're watching the television because it's supposed to be a TV show, and yeah. I don't have a direct recollection of it either in theaters. Yeah, but uh, but this, I, but so then then he gets fired back to Earth, and but then uh, so it's a kind of a linked story. And when this that. movie came out, it was still within the world where people were arguing about. Is full frame better than widescreen? So that because now that that argument was kind of won by the mid odds because everyone just got a, a rectangular sixteen by nine t- TV. Yeah, yeah. So that kind of won out now. Where that's a back in the day there was a fight where people couldn't yeah, get yeah. over, they didn't understand what the black bars were because and it wasn't their fault. It was the ignorance because of the companies putting on them of television and movies not explaining it right. So yeah, that's interesting that they do play with the the, the ratio because when. The DVD it's we like watched. His eyes have been opened. Like when, and so they open our eyes will open even wider with the aspect ratio. When we started recording on this, we, we you, you caught the tail end of our conversation. We we didn't we weren't able to watch the Blu-ray of this. We had Blake's. We're over Blake's house tonight. We, we had Blake's parents' original DVD copy, and we were talking about Blake's got his uh, parents for Christmas a nice 4K television. So we watched this on the 4K, and this was what I guess the 2000 
edition DVD, right? Yeah, it came it was on the DVD, one. video and DVD. I bought that shit, right? Yeah, up. and I'm Snatched sure right. <laughs> this this there's a fifty percent chance this could have been released as an option of widescreen and full frame. That that was a, you had a lot of that back then on DVD. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this didn't look as good. It was SD. Which is which is yeah, crazy. Just on the to new think, 4K TVs, the DVDs. You know, it's funny because it was thinking, you know, like remember how great DVD looked when you first got a DVD. When we got it, and now it looks. And now it's definitely like that jump from VHS to DVD is now DVD to to ultra, ultra. HD 4K. It's like that big of a leap in terms of. See, I'm very new to all that, and this was the conversation we were having prior to the record. Do we is you were schooling me or educating me on this? I guess there is a um, a difference between the, you know, the, you said that there is a clear difference between 4K and Blu-ray and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's yeah, interesting. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I think. And you made a good point too. Was they said I when I watch shows that are now in syndication that are still 480i. Uh, you know, like say I well, like MacGyver. You watch MacGyver; it's, it looks just you, you know. You're like, wow, it looks so older. But then when you put it up against, I think MacGyver just had a re-release where they HD'd everything, and you look at a AB side by side comparison, you're like, there's a stark contrast. But you you made a point where, which I agree with, where on the old tube televisions, there was a lot of that give and take. Yeah, it was it was, it was more forgiving. Yeah, because the TV. Better. Yeah, it did it almost? And I I wonder. I think it's because I guess everything is digital now. Maybe with the tubes or whatever, or having a. I uh, think it was the technology. Yeah, yeah. you know, ha- it, w- it was you know because I also brought up a couple months ago trying to. You can't. I have an old Atari. You can't hook it up to a new TV because of uh, not because even physical issues, but th- it was never conceived to be on a sixteen nine. So it's all fucking weird. You have to get a <laughs> four by three TV. You know, yeah, I'm sure yeah. there's a way to jerry rig it that I'm not educated to. But yeah, yeah. when I try to do it, so it's just interesting when you're trying to make that leap of technology. How bad stuff looks, you don't even realize. You, everything just well, looks cloudy or semi out of focus. Well, they say 4K, and this is another tangent. I'll just a quick statement on that. They say that 4K. For anything le- like a, if you're going to watch 4K, like an, a UHD, an Ultra HD 4K disc, 4K is wasted on a TV like less than 55 inches or something like that, because it's because you're not going to like the human eye is not going to notice the difference because it's so small in terms of you know it's like when you're on your computer and you look at a file you know like a QuickTime. In the small window, it looks great. It looks great, and then when you expand it to full screen, it looks like shit. Yeah. Uh, so they say, I've heard that 4K is you know it's not noticeable the the difference, but, the, but if you on get anything past... less than like 50 or 55 inches, which is insane. But, but when you get up to 65, <laughs> when you get up to 65 inches and then bigger and then projection, yeah, like there's a noticeable difference. It's like when we were little, the PSA when we were little, which the TV we were watching on at my parents' house was 65 inches. Yeah, so it was why big. it looked you know, pretty different. Uh, the 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 DVD of Galaxy Quest looks pretty raw compared to some of the Blu-rays and 4K stuff. When we were growing up, it was, you know, don't sit too close to the TV. You're going to kill your eyes. Now you have these TVs. I mean, I I said it before. I work in cable news, and I'm a you know a tech guy in, in, in TV, so I'm in the studio all the time. We have TVs in these studios that are, I don't know, you've been there, 80, 104 inches, whatever yeah, the big yeah. 102s. So I don't even realize that these things are a huge TV now. You know, and 
So when I go over somebody's house and see, oh, this is an 88, to me that doesn't even look big because I'm so used to seeing these huge <laughs> 102s or bigger yeah. things or whole walls now. But to sit back and think, like when I was growing up, uh, you know, I had a 19-inch or we had a cabinet model television that I watched everything on. That couldn't have been above a, a 15 or 16-inch. Or my parents in my parents' bedroom, the black and white that I'd watch the Muppet Show on or all these other shows, TJ Hooker and stuff on a Saturday night that had bunny ears. That couldn't have been that was the the tv we used in my freshman film with brian in the serial killer's house yeah yeah that thing couldn't have been more than eight i don't know it couldn't have been more than a laptop screen size so it's amazing to me you think of all these years people growing up in the 50s and 60s you're watching that's fine standard television you're watching on the other side of your living room you're watching a 15 or 16 inch television <laughs> not <laughs> hd yeah it's you know you know little in i remember my, my dad back in the day my dad had like it was revolutionary he had it look like a suitcase and he would take it from work and it was it was a tv that you click and it would fold the screen yeah. would fold up you click it it would fold down and it was a portable tv i don't think it i mean it had a radio in it too it didn't have anything else and that was revolutionary or in high school or i knew a guy who had a portable sony walkman tv you yeah. know with an antenna which doesn't even work anymore because they did the since they did the digital c conversion, you can't even get the analog signal for it to work. Yeah. But that thing was only, you know, as big as your small. It's smaller than the your matchbook. Yeah, it's smaller than the your screen. Anyway. Your screen on your uh, your phone now. So it's amazing to me to think that now we're getting into like you know uh, over fifty or sixty inches. That's the norm now. I have a. I think I have a 42 in my living room, and that's small. So yeah. we have people come over, like, "Geez, you got a small TV." <laughs> I'm like, "Well, you what's know, the matter with you? Yeah, said, Geez, what the, what's the matter anyway. with you?" So it's amazing to think that all this stuff, all this, you know, it's it, you, you're losing it with the eye. So when we watch this DVD here, it, it was I thought all DVDs were HD, but no, no, they're not. No, no. Anyway, back on track. So <laughs> this is the episode of tangents, the tangents episode. The tangent. So the, special. And you know what? Also, too, I noticed too that I feel like um, that uh, that he had a. Uh, uh, Alan Rickman was channeling a little Michael Caine in this too. I saw, I saw a little the the Michael Caine in his performance of like you know being a little angry and bitter. Almost. I mean, it could be just because I watched the the Muppets Christmas Carol over the past <laughs> month, but you know he was Michael Caine was fresh in my mind. But I saw a little Michael Caine in it. Um, Let me think. There's definitely things I want to talk about. I want to talk about how awesome uh, Stan Winston's stuff is in this movie. He's an unsung hero because it's, yeah, you're right, it's DreamWorks, and, and, and we were just talking about ILM last week. Yeah. ILM, ILM did the does, special effects in this, the Rock the Monster. Does all the stuff in this movie. Yeah, and I think that, you know, the Rock Monster stuff, I think, kind of holds up for a certain extent. It looks doesn't look that bad, maybe because it's such an ab abstract creature. Yeah, yeah. And those little cute things that turn scary, they kind of look still all right. Yeah, I mean, they look cartoonish, but I don't think they're not supposed to look cartoonish, you know what I mean? Like no, I they're think, not supposed to not look. They're, they, yeah. It's all right they look kind of cartoonish. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, where I feel like a, a lot of stuff of the other of the era which we've brought up can be less forgiving. Yeah, but Stan Winston's effects, especially on uh, what's his face, uh, Saris. Saris. I've always I looked up who Saris was, and he's an actor who I didn't recognize. Who's already passed away. He died at age sixty-one. Uh, I always thought, even seeing this in the theater, I'm always a villain guy. I thought he did such a great job. Um, there's such subtlety that a lot of people may not even pick up on in his character, which I'm sure you have since you've seen it so many times. But in the first meeting. He's fine. And then when Tim Allen has them fire the both barrels and then he leaves, he comes back. He's now wearing a, <laughs> yeah, he, he's wearing a metal eye patch. He's got, a, I think he's got a robotic arm because he points at the camera. Yeah, yeah. And then he, it's funny because he has his lieutenant's head on a pike because yeah, the guy yeah. didn't put the shields up in time, you know. And I always, I really like the idea that like his, um, the, 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 the things out of his head, which I, they say could be even a nod to the thing. 
John Carpenter's okay, a thing. Yeah. They move when he's talking as well. When he gets pissed off, you Got see those wing wings thing. that come up. Yeah. Very the stuff you didn't need, but it just adds to the level of um, I, badass, I, his, badassery. The, the, the Sarek's makeup in this movie is some of my favorite Stan Winston stuff. Like, I think he just looks so bad. You know, and I don't remember when we did The Fifth Element, if, if Stan Winston had any I, any uh, input on, on the... the, the Oh yeah, it is kind of fifth element. But near when at the end, when they when they invade and you start to physically see them in person, uh, I, I did see a couple of comments online that some of those guns look a lot like the guns that um, that Gary Oldman's character is selling yeah. in the black market. Those do anything doohickey guns, yeah, yeah. you know, because they do have. Uh, a weird look his army where they kind of look like they have like you know army helmets on or they have like mesh over their faces and all like you know they have a great look to them but uh his his him himself saris yeah. is amazing like his looking. makeup is yeah. really outstanding yeah i mean you can't even see where you just i was looking at it near the end of it when you had the realization scene when he ex- has them explain what the historical footage is i was like getting towards the tv to look like i was looking try to See where the seams are. It's like how long did that makeup? Get out of the way! Get out of the way! And I was trying to figure out like how long did that makeup, uh, you know, yeah. appliance of uh, uh, the, the process? Just, uh, the makeup you know, looks so great, and clearly there's got to be some day. kind of animatronic <laughs> mouth movement going on. Yeah, and the, to control the head stuff, and then when he gets mad, to hit the button, really the wings gorgeous. come up. Really, I mean, it goes on, but we, you know, I'm and a, it's bro- a, a broken record with this. <laughs> podcast when it comes to this stuff and oh, that, the, like you know, the, this idea of just like the the illusion of yeah. movie magic it's just beautiful but here we, we start having a lot more of the the ilm cgi stuff but still it's at that period where you know they're still willing to go with makeup the pig monster thing looks really fucking from willow cool. last week no oh, oh from this one pig monster the thing that he fights before oh that thing oh okay i'm th- you know that it looked a lot to me like the um, Transformers, the movie, the cartoon, those robotic shark things, shark decons. Yeah, okay, yeah, 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 yeah okay. That, yeah, that thing's I mean, that's clearly looking. a guy bent over. Or a little person, maybe. I don't know, maybe. It's just, you can see that it looks like he has, you know, like big legs. It looks like and he's, he's bent, bent, he's bent over into like an <laughs> yeah. outfit. Yeah, with a monitor uh, or something. That thing looks, I mean, cartoonish, but, you know, f- for the context of the movie, perfect. Yeah. But really cool. And then, of course, the squiddy type thing the therm uh, uh, the the termites <laughs> yeah <laughs> termites are dalmatians <laughs> the, the thermians the their their, their per- appearance before they put on the the you know the visual yeah uh, the, oh, the, the, the squid know. like uh, real appearance and it's, it's funny really when they're sweet like that uh, idea too when he's in the car with her and he's like you know they're trying to explain to him he's like what's your name to the girl and she's looking at him and she's like oh her her communicator doesn't work and she's like ah <laughs> 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 it's like I love all that it's just all these little things where I, I don't know I mean they talk about what's his name in, Enrico the guy who plays um, the head therm- yeah, therm- uh, thermite Mathazar yeah he came up with that voice on his own and they loved it so much they said you gotta keep doing it uh, yeah I mean that makes that sells that whole that was a little bit of your Dave Patrick Kelly impression no it wasn't us it was them <laughs> warriors Let's say, I used to be able to go higher with it but now it's just an elder an elder of David Patrick Kelly but you know that like you know um, you know that's a quirk where I guess the actor brings it there yeah. And it was his whole, 
you know, they wouldn't have had it without, and it sells it perfectly. And then you, you notice the little subtle things of they walk a weird way, probably because of, you know, they don't know how to walk or how they clap. They clap the wrong way. Yeah, yeah. You know, all these little subtle things that, that you know. It, it, In some ways, not subtle, but still perfect. So, you know. Uh, w- there is talk that this had a. So we brought up the saying how this. I said was saying I loved it, how it was family friendly. You can watch yeah. your kids with it, it's great. There was a darker version of it where they had a lot more swearing, and you can, if you look for it, you can clearly see where they had to dub over where there was f bombs or shit or whatever. Uh, and I only read that in doing preparing for this, but I had known prior to this that there was more of an extended cut of stuff that got cut. Tony Shalhoub hinting more that he's a pothead, yeah, uh, or other kind of, I guess, more a darker feel or tone of the movie overall. Yeah, well, this this came up for me. I. I this came up in an interview with Sigourney Weaver, I want to say eight years ago, maybe 10 years ago. She did an interview and somebody asked her about this movie and she had pointed out that my recollection of that interview was that there was, that it was R rated. Yeah. And that they decided they wanted to make it a PG 13. Well, even having the swears in it would make it R, having yeah. the F for it, you know. And that they wanted to dial it back and make it. And my impression, and maybe it was just like wishful thinking of reading that interview, because I don't remember the interview, you know, word for it. I just remember what my impressions of it were, was that it was like a darker, more adult comedy version of this movie. And then it got re-edited and I thought maybe even reshot. But in researching it now before tonight, before to watch it tonight, it seems like... I guess they're saying they're saying there's more scenes of violence. That it seems uh, like I get mixed. I mean, I get mixed uh, signals in terms of what I in the research now. It seems like m- maybe it was going to be PG thirteen. And they also say they re-edited it to emphasize the comedy and and to obtain the PG rating. So it's like it is inherently, I would think, a comedy. <laughs> so yeah, I would love. For how it. do you recut it to make it more comedic? I've been waiting for uh, like a like a deluxe there is a deluxe edition of this which we don't have but i've been waiting for a release of it that has an alternate edit yeah to just see because i was wondering because clearly it's implied that tony shalhoub's character is is a is high through the entire movie yeah he's you know because even at one point sam rockwell says what are you high there's a line when they they're cutting out of the scene he's always trying to get at snacks even the first time we see him he's He's trying to open one of those tins of like those butter cookies and you know and And he says he can't get it open and he's sitting the whole time and he's trying to open it which i i found hilarious on this viewing only because I read the research and maybe you would have garnered this a lot more because you've seen it more times than me yeah, is the yeah. idea that he's cast as an Asian character yeah. Chen so every time you see him when he's trying to be a character he's squincy <laughs> <laughs> you know so it's like him being the stoner it's like he's remem- either if he's remembering to be in character or if it's like his scene and someone looks at him you know he'll, he'll <laughs> he looks at the audience and he squints it's like he's supposed to be Asian like he yeah, closes yeah. his eyes uh, brilliant I just think that's so funny in so many levels yeah that he's that. he's a non-Asian playing an Asian on the TV show. And then he's not, they're not even really giving him any makeup. I mean, because there's a lot of people, which I, I, I end up citing all the time on here that, you know, back in the day, they wouldn't, either they would give you full prosthetics or sometimes they wouldn't even do that. If you could squint a little bit, you, you would look, you'd pass. Enough. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Close enough. Yeah. And so this is one of those but things he, with him he's doing. He but does him, it. but like, uh, in addition to Sam Rockwell, Tony Shalhoub for me, the two of them steal this movie. Yeah. You know, there's the, you know, uh, 
when they get beat, they get quote unquote beamed up. Yeah. And then he comes in after and they're all freaked out. Like they're all like stunned. And then Sam Rackle has that, you're talking about that burst of like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And apparently Sigourney Weaver didn't know that was coming because if you watch that scene, like she's startled by his screaming. Yeah. But then Tony Shalhoub shows up and he's like, that's a hell of a thing. (laughs) And he walks over to (laughs) Tim Allen. Tim Allen. And they look back like, what's up with them? I don't know. And, uh, and then when they call, you know, when they're hitting the turbo, he's holding the turbo button to get out. He's like, uh, you know, they FYI, tell you, uh, uh, they're, they're telling me down here that just it's kind of, we're breaking apart. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I just thought you should know that. Use that information how you want. Whatever <laughs> like that. He's like, you know, uh, I mean, even if we talk about a lot of Star Trek references, even before, before you see the credits. The musical, even for me, when the music comes up, a couple notes hit, it almost sounds like. Yeah. Not so much the TV show, but even the motion pictures. Um, but I love when they're taking it out of the starport. Uh, and, and, you know what I mean? It's a clear homage the to the reveal of it. Yeah. They're in the, they're in the elevator, and then it's like, oh, the ship. Yeah. And, and it's, it's great reaction because I was looking at Alan Rickman. And it's like, you clearly, they're being a blue screen. So, you know, all it's it's great. You know, it's, well, it's yeah, a great it's total being, homage to the 20 minutes of Enterprise in a motion picture. They're trying to leave space dock. But, like, I love, like, okay, you're on a, you know, you're going through now, you look out, you see the ship, and they get on the ship. It's beautiful. And then, and then the idea, which is like so overwhelming, is like they've, modeled it off of how you do things and it's okay for that kid but then when you get Tony Shalhoub later he's like you know I'm a stoner I can't remember anything <laughs> how to beam uh, yeah. Tim Allen up but when you have Daryl um, Daryl Mitchell I think his name is when he starts to leave he's, it starts to lean <laughs> yeah starts to go and they're like a cock in their head like, until uh, Sam Rockwell's like you gotta go this way he's like shut up shut up and you're like <laughs> <laughs> and the music kind of just goes out <laughs> <laughs> and he just gets off with it. And you would think that they would have hit like one of the, the, the rockets in the back, but they don't. They only hit the bow there. It's just it's so funny. Yeah. I mean, logistically, it's not realistic in terms of, you're right, they would have been scraping the... The back um, the, to one of the one of the things. But since you brought up the music, uh, the great David Newman yeah. did the score for this movie. Now, David Newman comes from a family of composers. His dad, Alfred Newman, oh, was a composer <laughs> no back... No relation to Matt. <laughs> Alfred E. Newman. <laughs> He uh, was a composer in the 30s, 40s, 50s, a lot of great big productions. Uh, His brother also, Thomas uh, Newman, also composes film music. His sister's a composer, but I don't think she composes film music. I think she just composes like classical music. Their cousin is Randy Newman. Oh. Who, you know, not only kind of the pop star of yeah, Ready to Me, <laughs> but did, uh, you know, obviously has done film, oh, He was huge in the music. 70s. As well. Yeah, he was big. He has done film music, including the Toy Story movies and stuff like that. Uh, David Newman's career uh, goes back to maybe the 70s or the 80s, but uh, a long list of potential sleepover classics. Critters, Throw Mama from the Train, Heathers. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and Bogus Journey, uh, Little Monsters, uh, Ducktales the Movie, Treasures Ooh. of the Lost Lamp, we, Dog- which we've talked about doing on this <laughs> show, just so people know out there the old Ducktale fans. <laughs> All five we, of you we've, for years we've been talking about maybe we should do that. Don't tell mom the babysitter's dead. Uh, Honeymoon in Vegas, The Mighty Ducks, The Sandlot, The Coneheads movie, Flintstones, Tommy Boy. 
Operation Dumbo Drop, The Phantom, which we've talked about doing on the show. Uh, the G- Billy Zane. Yeah. Jingle okay. All the Way, which we talked about, I'm sure, recently. I just watched that for Christmas. Yeah. Out to Sea, which we talked about recently. Because on the Grubby Old Men <laughs> podcast. Uh, and the Ice Age and Serenity, which we talked about just Firefly. Ten minutes ago. <laughs> you know, within a half hour. Dave Newman classic so i think he was kind of great and yeah he was definitely trying channeling uh you know maybe not so much the original tv show but definitely like the jerry goldsmith motion picture yeah the you know, grander stuff. uh i mean even there are really nods to there's an episode of the, the the original series called by any other name and the kelvins in it they're talking about how they they assume a human form in it but they say to, to Spock and I guess maybe Kirk the idea of um, you know if you saw us in our original form we have massive we're massive creatures with hundreds of tentacles so if that's a joke of going to why the you know the oh, idea yeah, of yeah. the the therm th- I keep saying the thermans ther- thermans <laughs> thermans thermians of, of that they're having the idea of them having this this disguiser on um, the the bad guy ship what's his name Varus 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 um they say that's a nod to the Doomsday Machine episode, does, you know, and you know the front of it does look like. Yeah, now that you mention it, it does look like the Doomsday Machine a bit. Yeah, with that, I always call it. The, I always call it Doom. Remember the s- snack food when we were little? I'm sure they still exist. Bugles. Yeah, the bugle. Yeah, bugles. It's like a little cone. Yeah, it looks like a yeah bugle. It looks like yeah, but it's like a little corn snack or whatever. I always call that the in the. I always call it the bugle. The, the the doomsday machine. The doomsday thing. machine looks like a floating. <laughs> yeah, with a with a big. Especially nasty if you look at the old, like the re, uh, pre remastered. Yeah, versions. I always say that it looks like a, it looks like the bugle, the flying bugle to me. But yeah, because it's got that open area, it does. Yeah, it has that, that. And, and inside of it. Doesn't it have some sort of thing going on to the doomsday machine? Has like a like a black hole or like a worm, like some sort of crazy looking. Yeah, yeah. You know. Uh, and then you know they built well because Commodore Decker, who we brought up earlier, just because they did a fan <laughs> version, which was good. The fan, the fan sequel to him, his they they explain. <laughs> in, in the, I apologize yeah. to everybody listening to this in episode. The fan, we are off on the, so so many tangents. The tangent episode in the fan version, they do a pseudo sequel and they where they explain his, how Commodore Decker where survived. He went. he went to Florida or something, and they they, they find because <laughs> remember they opened his well, garage yeah. door and they ha- they find the sh- they built a shuttlecraft. Yeah, like the Galileo style. Yeah, uh, uh, in his garage, he hid, and then they got hit, the actor, and, oh, and I, I forget his name, and it's a very famous actor who does a lot of episodic television, Twilight Zone, Star Trek. Yeah, yeah. And they had him do his part, and, he's, and he does this. <laughs> but clearly, they just went over his house. He's sitting in a Lazy Boy. Cause they part, turned a light on, you know, <laughs> yeah, right Because his part is they, he's dead. Oh, in but, the, but his wife, who was the woman who played Marlena in the Mirror Mirror episode, she has this videotape. Of him with a message that he's giving, so the, in case anybody ever comes back looking for him. So it's brilliant. So it, it, it kind of excuses that. That's a really great way of them excusing. They probably, you know, wherever he was lives. Yeah. They probably just said, "Hey, can you just can you you know get a video say camera on a tripod lines. and say these lines to a thing and make it sound but audio-wise good." The idea good. of that episode, that episode of this fan series, was that when he. <laughs> <laughs> Commodore Decker has to destroy the Doomsday Machine, and he fi- he flies, he pilots a uh, shuttlecraft into the center of it. Yeah, and he gets, it, it, I remember him. You know this more than I do, but he's it's it's almost like he's an crazy Ahab. the yeah, whole yeah. episode. He's nuts, right? And then the, the it, it kind of culminates with him taking the Galileo. To, he, wants to, he wants to take the Enterprise with the crew and all in there. Yeah, and they won't let correctly. him. Uh, and uh, so that fan episode is like. He didn't die. Somehow he was transported back in time. Yeah, by doing that. 
It, but anyway, yes, the the flying bugle. Uh, it was a long, <laughs> long way again, around it to again, talk I about. Apologize. I hope everybody's sticking with us. And I'm, I'm trying to find. Well, the first half hour of us talking about just uh, whatever <laughs> the, that we talked the about. The fortunate thing is there's enough tangents that hopefully it all it's everybody's a, it's a very is interested in at least one or two <laughs> beneficial episode. I can't find that that actor's name who played the uh, who played Decker. Uh, but yes, the 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 design of the ship, especially uh, uh, Saris's ship, is 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 great. Um, you know, the idea of the mines left over from the blah 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 war, the minefield. William uh, Wyndham is the actor's name who played Decker. For all those people who, you know, yeah, very yeah. very. Uh, oh, he just died, two thousand twelve. So we're talking circa 2005 or six when all this was happening. Yeah, maybe. You know, so it was a great, great. I the reason I bring it up to such an extent we keep harping on it because I think for people who are Trekkies and fans, that little series that came out quickly. And there's been other ones that I don't that I, I don't know that had that I haven't seen yeah. that apparently are very good, different than this one. But yeah. this particular one that they were doing was upstate, like a, to they, my recollection, was like a splash. They brought. Uh, Walter Koning in uh, him, so I liked how they did connect it to the series that way. And I don't, yeah. I don't remember if we're going too far down this, but were they playing Spock and, and Kirk, or did they have it just be a different crew? I don't remember. Yes. What they were playing? Oh, they the were playing a Spock crew. and a Kirk and all that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so anyway, so yeah, there's. I mean, there's a lot of I, yes, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, <laughs> the, the the answer is yes. I feel like there were a lot of um, you know uh, nods to uh, Star Trek with with a lot of you know for for. I mean, this becomes. Such a cult favorite with Trekkies, it's considered the twelfth Star Trek film, and then it's ranked by Trekkies as the seventh best Star Trek film. Yeah, so it beats out by five. Uh, you know, other yeah, apparently there was some kind of survey amongst Star Trek, fans maybe at a convention at or a something. Convention, and they and and it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, one thing before we get into the fan stuff is I was going to say the minefield stuff. Oh yes, yeah. Kind of yeah. reminds me of Empire Strikes Back when they go into the. The, the, the meteor or the astrofoot, yeah, yeah, yeah. get over, yeah. So a great, great device too. You know, you're gonna follow them and go it, you know, or whatever. <laughs> you know, it's it's all very, and it's 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 devices that we're familiar with. Like that's yeah, because yeah, yeah. he they mentioned we were just talking about that last week. You know, a line, you know, they mentioned, oh, that's a leftover from whatever war. Because it's so sad. I mean, the backstory. I mean, this is this is great. I would love to, them to expand this world. They will talk later about them doing a sequel or whatever. But all these different things about, uh, you know, just there's so much here to do with yeah. it. Yeah. You know, uh, there seems to be a rich history. <laughs> yeah, that they that's untapped. You know, and it just, uh, yeah, it's really good. But I just want to mention that before we get onto the the idea of. You're talking about how this was ranked amongst fans. It's it's become a, a a cult favorite of both Star Trek fans who love it for its kind of association with Star Trek or the this history of Star Trek and the fandom of Star Trek. And then there have been other people that have come to it that aren't necessarily Star Trek fans that just have flocked to it as a cult classic for just its its own on its own level, its own right of being a, a comedic movie. But in terms of fandom, I think one of the big, the great strengths of this movie, and, and it was 
not necessarily a calculated thing, but I think a very smart thing in the long run is because you're going to want to attract those Star Trek fans. Yeah. And like I said, I don't know if it was necessarily calculated but it's not, or but not. But it's not making fun of them. No, well, that's the thing. You know, is it's, that it's lovingly poking and at we, them. And we kind, of, you know, we kind of glazed over it earlier because I knew we were going to talk about it more, which is Star Trek fans do flock to it because this movie is about, fa- in, in so many ways, is about fandom. Yeah. And it's the fans that end up saving the day in this movie. Well, one, it's bookended by a convention, which I think I think a, a little bit rang uh, true or special to us at the time that we saw it because this was 99. We saw it in early 2000. We had started going to conventions together in 97. Not Trek conventions, but just... But hard yeah, conventions. Yeah, stuff. But they're not that far No, different. no, of course. You know, convention's a convention. Convention of, of fans of, of a certain Comic book type of thing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, whatever you're into, My Little Pony, whatever the hell you're into. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know, we were people that went to these kinds of conventions, and we still are. Uh, no, we've so, always been Trekkie fans, you and I. Yeah, and we've always been into because 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 back in the day, there were people who weren't. You know, that was a polarizing difference, which we've talked again about in other episodes, where now yeah. it's now that being a nerd is mainstream, but back in the day, it was kind of... And I think you play a little on that here. Or all the you know the fans are coming up and asking these crazy questions, which just gets more into the the guts and glory of us in the Die Hard episode. We brought up Alan Rickman a month ago, yeah. where the guy comes up and you saw it, the screening at BAM, uh, Brooklyn Academy of Music, them screening Die Hard. Alan Rickman opened it. Yeah. Somebody asked Di- Alan Rickman a really um, like you know esoteric script question about Die Hard. So it's like there are people. You know, and I try to do that too when I meet somebody famous. I try to ask them something they may not be usually asked, but something they may be into. But I can see people, you know, but it's hard for somebody who's done, I mean, how many episodes is there of the original series? There's maybe, I don't know, probably three seasons. I don't know how many. 60 maybe? So Because you figure back then a season was like 20 episodes. Yeah. I could be completely off base. But, but yeah, I mean, that's a good guesstimate, I think. So it's like you think about people who did an episodic, like The Love Boat, or you did like something that has so many episodes, and people like in episode 43 in season two, you know, like, well, I don't fucking remember. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? What, if it was there, we did it because, it, you know, so it's. Yeah, yeah. And that certainly, I think, rings true where people will come up and ask scripts. Oh, logic questions all the I time. I know it for fact. I've yeah. seen it. I've done it. You know, like you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know asking script logic questions. Like, why didn't you do this? I would or? maybe ask the screenwriter that. I don't know if I would ask the. Yeah, if the yeah, exactly. I'm usually pretty honestly. Like, I'm. I go to these things and I have a good time. I go more for uh, the camaraderie and the vendors than I do the stars. Because I honestly like I'm a little timid. Like I'll go up and I'll get autographs for for you, yeah, or for uh, the our bro- friend Aaron, the brothers Hastings, yeah. or the, or our friend, my friend Aaron. And I always like I don't even know to I don't even say usually I don't even say it's for a friend of mine. I just be like, will you sign this to Dion? Yeah. I'm like, oh hi Dion, how are you? I'm like, I'm, I'm okay. Like I just don't. <laughs> and you become me. <laughs> like, That's like a good vanishing point <laughs> movie where it's like uh, the vanishing where you become like I'm very shy when it comes to. I don't know. I just like I. I know they're there to talk to you. Like yeah. that's their purpose. But like, I don't know. Like well, I, you know, I don't want to bother it's anybody. It's a hard. It's a hard. It's a hard thing to work over because it's like in those situations, it's it's hit or miss. They can be very standoffish or not. I'm lucky enough where where I work in cable news. When I see these people in green rooms, it could be hit or miss too. But I feel like they're a little more inclined to speak to you because they feel a little off guard. Yeah, you know, I, I met Shatner twice, and then I got him. I met him three times. One, last at a Star Trek convention, I had him sign my Devil's Reign DVD in a green room. And he's like, "Wow, this is out on DVD," and he signed it with a sharpie that was out of ink. 
and I think I've shown this to you, yeah, where you yeah. could see the, the 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 signature only if you like turn it a certain <laughs> way, which sucks. It's, like but, an, it's a secret signature. But like one of the, and then other there's other people, and that was that's another uh, argument to be made in, in in the industry. If you if you have this person, whoever they are, and, and you hold them in such high esteem. Do you really want to take the chance of coming in and meeting this person? This person completely destroying your dreams is an asshole, whatever, yeah. destroys whatever this, this glorified image you have in your head. So there's that real idea. But when I went to that Star Trek convention uh, a couple years ago that was in New York City here, uh, I met Peter Weller there. It was very nice. And I walked up to him. Not to get an autograph. I just started. I was like, what can I talk to Peter Weller about? That So I brought up that I loved his member. He was that that uh, uh history channel show he was doing on yeah. like uh, architecture and and egypts and he was yeah. really into it he's like oh thank you so much and him and i started talking and that was a good i always you know me i always try to get a back door in but then uh, we went up to talk to uh jonathan franks couldn't be bothered uh lavar burton just stared at my wife's breasts uh <laughs> you know uh we went to take a picture and then you know it was one of these things where you're, you're getting like a cattle call you just you can't even say hello to him you just get in front shh, next yeah, you yeah. know so it gets kind of Shatner. We spent all this money to get a picture from my or, or, or autograph from my wife. We we said two words to him. And then some guy came over who seemed like he was on the autistic spectrum with a and then start talking to, and then he blew our time. We're like, and it's like what the you know that was our time. We spent a hundred dollars, you know. So it's sometimes it's hard. So I could see you know you may not want to. You know, but sometimes they could be very approachable. I mean, everyone I've ever met at a convention has been nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I, mean I, also, I think they all know the, what they're there for. I've heard stories, but I've never had that experience. I can't, and I'm and not in any way slagging it off. I met Stallone a number of years ago, and that was kind of like he couldn't care less. And I, for a little while, I was like, oh, what the heck? But then, you know, you got to put it into a context that these people... That's all. They can't even go well, step outside to go get some milk without somebody. They can go to China and someone's going to recognize them. So it's yeah, like yeah. you got to think of from their aspect that everybody for fifty years has been like clamoring at them, or they're at a convention where they've been signing autographs for ten hours. I mean, I talk to people who have books come out, and they'll be like, you know, if you have a line out the door at a Barnes and Noble doing a book signing, by the end of the day, you know, your signature is just going to be a line, you know, because you're signing so many books and stuff. Yeah. So it can kind of get hard, and then everybody wants to stand there and talk to you. For as long as, you know, and I'm one of those people that, you know, come up and talk, you know, you want to say something. So you're like, oh, okay, you know, you try to be friendly, but then six hours goes by, you know, it could <laughs> really be trying somebody's patience by that point. Yeah, you know? yeah. But, it's a, but you know, the, this, I think uh, Galaxy Quest, uh, for budgetary reasons, doesn't manage to accomplish the scope, I think, of a con- of a Star Trek convention, yeah. per se. But you get but the feel. But you get the feel of it. There's people in costume. Yeah. There's people that are certainly very fanatical about it. You get the assholes in the bathroom that are there to make fun of things. Yeah. I mean, all this or they're of, there because it's being held in the same hotel or venue. Yeah, and so you, you get that aspect of it. You get all those aspects of it. But very well. I think what does gr- what really they the the home run is that they come back around. Is that it comes back around and the ship's about to is going to self destruct. And they don't—they're the actors on the show, but they actually—but they don't really. How do we know? Yeah, we don't know, know the, anything the, about. Yeah, the, the logistics, the, the of logistics, the, or the or really the the scientific history. And I'm and and not to the same extent as the kids in this movie, but I had the Star Trek Next Generation the, schematic you, book yeah. of the Enterprise with all the blueprints. They put out, out of, all the Star Wars <laughs> movies. They put all those things out where you can get the the tech, the technical. I know. had gra- my mom would bring home. 
buy me sheets of graph paper and you just draw and I would yep. sit there and I'd draw yeah. I had I had like a life size like you know in the Rocketeer <laughs> yes when you know PV's got oh, the he, he, what he wants it to be like I had like a, I had a giant size and I drew you know I drew my own the, the rocket <laughs> I wonder, yeah, I, you, you brought it up on the Rocketeer podcast. I wonder if that was a thing for boys, because I went through a phase for, like, where I would draw, like, um, like side profiles of, like, say, uh, an aircraft carrier or, uh, or like, a, uh, a mountain that, like, a Cobra base was in, and then I would draw, like, you know, where everything was, the levels yeah. oh, and all sure. that. You know what I mean? So I wonder if that was, like, a, a, a not a boy thing, per se, but, like, a child fascination thing. I had thing. a thing where I, you know, not... I'm sure it existed, but this was pre-internet. Yeah. So whatever you found at the bookstore was what you had access to. Yeah. And maybe you'd see it in a magazine where they have a list of other special issues. Yeah, you can order it. And then you could order it. But so, like, I didn't have... I'm sure it existed, but I didn't have, like, a, a, like a, 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 a space map of the Star Wars universe. So in my so I took like a giant piece of like graph paper and, you, and I've been like oh this is where Tatooine must be it's so close to the sun <laughs> wow here's the two moons <laughs> like it's got the two suns here the forest moon of Endor so Endor has to be a planet and I'm I'm making up on where on space yeah you know all these places must be I mean I was a, I was a but that but that <laughs> ends up showing kids I mean you take all the stories from the kids who grew up watching the original Star Trek series they end up becoming like astronauts or bro sure you know this feeds the into guy people's that invented meta. the cell phone yeah because it was a communicator <laughs> was, you know because it, it was inspired by the communicator on Star Trek and that's Trek. another joke where in the movie where Alan Rickman's holding his tricorder the wrong way yeah, and that's yeah. because the first season of Star Trek Spock would hold it upside down because he didn't get the feeling of how you would probably hold a tricorder like all these little niches that are like more like nods to the so you have the idea and I think this movie does it superbly where the fans are such a huge part and then you have the scene where Tim Allen turns on the fans and gets frustrated tells them to kind of F off leaves and then by the end of the day the fans are save the day and we, I know, I don't know the inner workings of the ship, but I know somebody that does. And it, yeah, that and, might. And I remember it's the same excitement I had watching it tonight. You know, when you get to that scene, I completely forgot about that. And it's like, oh, and it, I, you get excited because it's almost like it's pseudo involving you. Yeah, yeah. Like you're going to be the one to save the day, even though I'm <laughs> 40 years old almost now. You know, it's like, well, so that's what I mean. Like these, these kids, they're working with the internet and they have Skype and, or, you know, FaceTime or whatever, and they could chat with each other online. And so it's, they're connected to other fans in a way that we weren't able to be connected yeah. to. I mean, this fans. was just the infancy in this movie when you see them dialing up. Yeah, you know, I mean, this was online. the first movie ever to have a, a website. Galaxy Quest was the first movie ever to have a website. And then they, if you go to the Wayback Machine that shows all the old stuff, you could see it. But then they purposely made it look even older. So that it could, they could be like it was made by a fan of the original series to try yeah. to play into the the, the mystique of um, yeah. you know. And then I brought up uh, um, six hours ago about the Blair Witch Project having its own documentary they made on some, some channel, maybe HBO or something. They did a mockumentary episode on E, the channel E for this, which I vaguely remember, which I'm sure is out there. We it's on watched. YouTube. Yeah, it's in, it's as in, an extra in It's this. in YouTube on three parts, and then they and then they really did, shitty looking. By the way, is it? <laughs> I mean, in terms of like it was taken from a VHS, yeah, from what, from whatever from it aired. Land. So and then and then in that they played up like it was a real show, and yeah. then and Sigourney not, Weaver. It's to promote the movie, but they're not 
they're not Sigourney Weaver and Tim Allen. They're playing the within act, the context, which I think is br- I love that it's brilliant. And then even in that she, the, um, Sigourney Weaver joke, she like passed on a on a Woody Allen movie to do uh, Galaxy Quest, the show, which is true. I think in real life she passed on a real Woody Allen movie to do maybe Alien or something like yeah, that at yeah. the time. Um, but so, so I love. I mean, like I said, I'm not a big fan of Justin Long. He kind of sort of annoyed me when he was at his peak in all those commercials with the difference between internet, whatever, and yeah. But the he, Apple yeah, I think he's perfect in this. Um, he's I so lo- good. The part I, when he has to take the the, the lunch, the, the trash out. <laughs> Mom, this is really. <laughs> and he's running out, and he's you know, he's like, Mom, you don't understand. I mean, I remember like rolling over in the aisles with you. How funny that shit was. Yeah, you know, yeah. they're waiting like you know, you there, you there, and he comes back because he's got to take the trash out. You know, well, he his. His uh, performance in this movie made such an impact on me that uh, I started working on a script with the person who can't be named on the show uh, that was the Great American Stoner Comedy, which was the tentative title. Oh, I remember this. And in our heads- You guys are really secretive about that, but you tell me a little (laughs) bit about it. And uh, there are some really funny jokes. One day I would love to re-resurrect that, but I am- I'm hesitant to try to do anything that was once connected with this person. Uh, For copyright but there Was it called? Was that the tentative title? It was the Great American Stoner Comedy. Oh, yeah. That sounds like it's already a classic. <laughs> <laughs> but the two... All two, you need to add is National Lampoon the in Two of, of the main characters, many of the main... Many of the characters were based on my friends in high school. Yeah. But stoner versions of my friends because we weren't stoners in high school. But the two like lead <clears throat> main characters were kind of inspired by... Justin Long in this movie, and Linda Carlini in uh, Freaks and Geeks. Okay, and so he his impact made such a his performance. Were you having him play a stoner in the movie, or playing no, more no. of a nerd? He played like a nerdy kid yeah. who ends up becoming friends with the stoners throughout the course of the movie. I mean, he talks about how, the, like you said, this is his first movie. He was quite nervous um, trying to try out for this. There was other people you named who were who were up for his role, Karen and. Um, McCulkin, which was Macaulay's bro- little yeah. brother, um, and he's so good as being the nervous. I mean, his quirks and ner- I mean, it works. It, it works for him so well when he's trying to explain. And it's stuff. the only time, to my knowledge, that he ever played a role like this. What's he other? He's more of just like the smart ass, or well, you know, uh, he plays much more of a Ferris Bueller type. A character in a movie that I also love and have a very great fondness for, which is called Accepted, which is like a college comedy. Which actually, the first kid he calls, be like, "Oh, I know who's got who knows." This guy knows the inner workings of that section better than anybody. And he says, "I only have one through three. Your dex- yeah, you call he, the he's also in Accepted as a smaller as a is small that, is part. Is that pre or post this movie? Post. Okay. Uh, uh, and there's that, and he's in. He's uh, in a Die Hard, isn't he? Live Free and Die Hard. He's in Live Free and Die Hard, <laughs> yeah. which I don't. I think he was good in. I, remember, I only saw that once, yeah. but I enjoyed. I that. I like that one a yeah. lot, actually. We talked about that in the Die Hard episode a month ago. But um, yeah, and he's in like Jeepers Creepers, which I never saw, but I know the, all the plot too. It's terrible. And then he did. Uh, I mean, terrible that I know the plot too. <laughs> not that it's a terrible movie. Uh, I, mean, he's, I mean, obviously he's done a lot, and he's well, he was in the that Kevin Smith Walrus move Tusk. Yes, he was in Tusk. That's a fr- that's a. That's a movie for another day. But, um, um, yeah, so but he not he's so never quite played a character like this again, which is surprising. I mean, maybe because he just aged out of it really quickly, uh, because he was so perfect. Now, now it's interesting because there's a leap in in there where at the end of it, where he they uh, I, I don't know I don't I don't think the popular convention is convention of thought is that people Trekkies actually think Star Trek is real. 
I mean, it's it's they love the world and they will they would love to live within the world. Yeah. But I never met any Trekkies or or Star Wars fans or Harry Potter. You know, I can you think of a franchise that people may think that could be real? I mean, I mean, sure, there's there's role playing and stuff, Dungeons and Dragons, but I think there is. I mean, when you're young. That's different, I guess. Yeah. I mean, that could maybe be the excuse here. Like, if you're little and you think, you know, but it's like when he makes the, Tim Allen says, yes, it is real. And he's like, I knew it. You know, it's like, I never yeah, thought, yeah. you know, he could say, you know, this is actually happening now and I need your help. Yeah, the idea of you I know, knew it is, I guess, a little bit of a stretch. You know. But I think it there be is a, I think there is a part of all of us that, uh, who grew up, you know, before it was... Before it had a name, before it was geek culture, before it was popular, especially before it was popular. But I think there's a part of us that, you know, we know on some conscious level that the things aren't real. But, you know, in our hearts, they're real. You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) You know, like, I think I I agree that the line, oh, I knew it. You know, I knew it was real is a bit of a stretch. But I can understand, like, this wishful whimsy of desire of passion hey, and I, hard to be like you know there is a part of me that especially when i was very into you know when i when i was watched star wars every week you know when i when i went through that period which was a big part of my life you know there was a part of me that was like it was real to me yeah or you're though, hoping somebody would come down and i don't know about so much of like, like i would like I never wanted to be story. a part of it well it's like but me. there was it was so I was so passionate about it that it was real to me. Yeah. Even though I was not delusional to think that <laughs> yeah, enough to think that it was actually happening. I mean, that it actually happened. We did last month Emmett Otter, the Jug Band Christmas, and to me, I would I love that world. I would love to live in that world of Emmett. I mean, not to live with like critters and stuff, yeah. but I mean, I love the ideal I- idyllic kind of you know, very simple living in the country or whatever. So there's certainly. For me, maybe much Muppet eccentric stuff that I love the world to live within, or that's why I think I gravitate towards older movies because it's a simpler time, whatever. Uh, so I, I guess I I get that aspect of yeah. things, especially, you know, th- and I think that's maybe could be uh, the cornerstone uh, or a foundation of fantasy in general is that. You know, especially for back in the day, traditionally nerds have maybe you have such a hard life, your day to day, you know, you're getting made fun of, teased or whatever, but then you'd go home and you'd have this escapism well, yeah, to live in, sure. like uh, with other friends that you identify with being a Trekkie, being into Star Wars, being into Dungeons and Dragons, being what into whatever you were into. Sure. Well, that I mean, can we, get your mind out of your, you know, and I think that's what maybe entertainment is supposed to do and yeah. make you achieve. And it plays on all the, you know, it's funny because this is. It's a type of movie that we talk about a lot, and in a lot of ways, it does. It does a direct reference to things like Star Wars and Last Starfighter and Willow that we've talked about in very specific ways. But there is this aspect of of a type of cinema that I do have a great fondness for, and I think it's a, a wonderful convention, which is the kids on an adventure. Yeah, and this is by extension all adults on an adventure. Yeah. You know. In in very much the same way that you know, like that Goonies is kids on an adventure, which it, we did last year. Yeah, this is very much that, but yeah. with adults. And then you have like these side characters that end up being, you know, help them achieve what they need to achieve. But I think that's part of you know the whole thing of 
you, whether it be the Explorers, which got brought up earlier, or Goonies, or Monster Squad, which we've done on the show, you know, this idea of like the escapism that you're talking about is that like, and a lot of horror movies, I think, play into it too. Yeah, right? and we've talked about it, I think, in previous horror, like The Gate. Yeah, this idea of yeah, you know, and then a lot, and especially horror movies play into it in that like. The kids always know what's up. But oh, yeah. The, the, the adults never, yeah, really, yeah, yeah. never really believe them. They, they, you need the innocence to be able to suspend your disbelief enough to real, to actually see what the reality of things are. I think that escapism you're talking about is like that's why those types of movies are popular, especially for kids. Yeah. It's because like we do want to be inherently most of us as kids we want to be on an adventure yeah like we want I mean, to live that we've talked as well as on the on the this series uh, saturday night movie sleepovers the idea of you know us growing up and we still have our our a foot in ch- our childhoods we still watch gi joe transformers we still and it's much different you and i lamenting about our parents at our age you know my when my dad was 39 i was eight or nine and I can't picture my dad then going out with his best friend John and then watching. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's weird. So it's a yeah. diff- it's almost like a different time now where the lines are blurred. You know, nowadays where there is a lot of kids who you know uh, who are people who are adults, but they still yeah. Well, we do had, a lot. Yeah, yeah you know what I, I mean. We've so, said it before. Like I do think that our our generation. What's the first one? I guess it doesn't have to is deal n- with all that. Is nostalgic in a way the previous generations just weren't, or couldn't be, or yeah, exactly, yeah, or couldn't be, or wasn't even an option. Yeah, exactly. You know, when you're when you're living in a depression, <laughs> you, you can't, you know, there's the, or you're going to war. It's just harder to, or you got a kid when yeah. you're 20 or whatever, and you know, you just like you have you work and that's kind of your life. Yeah, you you're know? home and you, yeah, yeah. So it's our, just our generation has had the luxury of not only having being able to have an acceptable lifestyle where we can be nostalgic. We have the ability to be nostalgic, but also to have the access of things like the internet yeah. and home video. It's so it's at our fingertips. We yeah. don't have to actually go out and seek it where like when we were little, we would have to get our mom or dad to bring us to the video store, the library, to the bookstore and or to, to seek out yeah. Where now it's just you can go to your room and Google whatever, yeah, and you're or there. just order something on Amazon. Yeah, and two it's, days, it's two, two days. days. Yeah, you have it's, whatever it's, you want. It's it's so it's it, all those bringing it to it. I mean, it's it's. I mean, I don't know if I've said this, but it, I I I think this movie's great. It's such a good movie. It's yeah, so yeah. it's I, on so many levels. It's a great movie as a send up to the Star Trek movie. It's a great family fun. It's great for us. It's great. I think everybody in it is great. Uh, I love the line like with when when they're Sam Rockwell when they're trying to figure shit out and then Sam Rockwell's like, "Did you ever even watch the show?" Because <laughs> they don't they don't understand. It's like all the there's so many like throwaway bits in here that are just so funny. Um, I guess we should mention the director on this, uh, Dean Periscott. Per- Periscott. 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 His, interesting enough, his first uh, directing gig was on an, uh, an episode of Reading Rainbow that was hosted by, of course, LeVar Burton. And that particular episode was LeVar Burton taking uh, the viewers behind the scenes on Star Trek The Next Generation. So it's like his first acting gig or directing gig is semi-star. It's yeah. almost like a... Uh, a Mr. Rogers type episode, or Mr. Rogers used to do a lot of that, take yeah. people behind the scenes of stuff. So I think that's a little um, uh, great tidbit. I love the idea that the, which we I think have talked about many times, where the original Galaxy Quest TV show ends uh, on a two parter. And I guess that would lead you to believe the second part either never aired 
and was filmed or never was filmed. And it, well, maybe it was because they were saying at that convention today for the first time, Sam Rock was saying you're gonna, you're all gonna see part two. Yeah, maybe. But it's so it's uh, it, it, when you have this idea of the Omega Thirteen, the big MacGuffin in the movie, which I think is also a great idea, great how they executed what it does. Which also is a nod to Wrath of Khan with the Genesis. Yeah, exactly. So it's again, it's one of these things, and I'm sure you can make parallels to other franchises as well. But it's so cool how it's like that's the reason why they didn't you know they don't know how it works or we talk about I think we brought up before about Firefly how that aired out of order on television and then some of them didn't even have a proper airing or there's shows that get canceled uh, maybe because of controversy or because of whatever and then you never even get to see how it turns out yeah. and you're lucky if it gets in the early days you were lucky if you if it even got released on a home video or whatever nowadays you may get a silent, silent release somehow <coughs> excuse me but a lot of these shows, say with Firefly, they would just air and not airing, so you'd miss it because it was airing against football. They'd turn it up, yeah. turn it around. So it's 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 a great other right story idea that this was canceled before you even got the finality of that part two. Yeah. And I think there are shows, I feel like, again, that we talked about, there are shows that we liked where it ended on like a cliffhanger and then it was never resolved. Oh, sure. Well, I mean, even that the... Ash versus Evil Dead, kind of. I yeah. mean, they knew it was going to be the end, I think, by the time... Maybe by, at least by the time it aired, I don't know about the time of the show, but that movie, that show ends with like everything. Like you want, you want to see what the next season's going to be so bad. But you think ends. they do that on purpose? I mean, I they think might have done that on purpose for that. But uh, nowadays, you could that do Sarah that. Sarah Connor Chronicles kind of ended. There on you a, go. Yeah, the one from uh, ten years ago or so with the girl from now, Lord from of the Firefly. Uh, and, but now, but the she played the the girl from Firefly played the, the Terminator, robot. but the Sarah Connor was the girl from the um, Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones, and she was also in that Dread. Um, yeah, yeah, who's a great? I, I like her a lot. But um, uh, yeah, so it's, it's that kind so of ended on that happens Fender. that happens quite a bit. You don't realize, and I'm sure there's tons of oh, I'm sure seventies and eighties television that would end, and then you're like, you know, and then there, it's left up to fan fiction if there's a big enough uh, following to figure it out. And that's one of the uh, one of the things I've absolutely always loved about Star Trek and Star Wars. We're old enough to remember when Star Trek wasn't on TV or Star Wars. They weren't making newer movies. The last one was Return of the Jedi, so it was only up to fans to make fan fiction or, or uh, I think Shatner he had a whole other career writing Star Trek fan, uh, n- fictional novels well yeah there was a guy, no, you know I forget the guy's name there was there was a specific guy that took up the mantle and actually you know they were real novels uh, but yeah there are millions of continuous Star Trek continuous yeah stories. and then with Star Wars and some of it ends up being canon and some of it doesn't yeah and then they had like Star Wars they had like uh different books almost like Clive Clusler has different characters for his novels you had different kind of so I love that that there's a disposable fiction even though they're not they're not generating product that you're yeah, seeing on yeah. the bigger small screen that you could still pick up and get oh, the yeah, continuing adventures Tom Solo Bucks. I have one of them. I haven't read it yet. It was a it was a, rec- a recent acquisition in my, you know, in my novelization t- movie tie-in stuff. There was the cart. There was the comic book stuff, which we talked about for yeah. Star Wars, which we yeah. talked about in the show and in, in the episode about Star Wars. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah they, they they did stuff to bridge the gaps. Marvel did the bridge between the movies, and then after that, they did a whole other run, which is actually pretty cool. But. Uh, the, the the kind of the, the third act of the, the finale of this movie of you know you brought up the, like the ducks like why are there always ducks for this and then and they call oh d u c d u c t ducks yeah, yeah. not like quack quack ducks yeah. <laughs> but like that they get Justin Long and Justin Long and his friends are the ones that guide them through the inner workings they have the schematics the, and stuff the, the inner workings of the ship and uh, 
you know, they have to go across the beam and then there's the big fan at the bottom, all the kind of the cliches that you see in those things. And it is this beautiful moment where Justin Long's like, oh man, where I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, what I wouldn't give to be like, to see what you guys are seeing right now. Like, I don't know. It looks pretty, like you're in the, the inner work, you're in the belly of the Omega 13. Oh then, yeah. Then she, Sigourney's Lee was like, what are you talking about? Then Tim Allen points up to her. And, and I look see, up and you see this, you know, thing that's going on and, and he then, gives her the, the, and it's a great little thing where like a lot of people say it's a matter yeah and he's like well what is what does it do and then he said the speculation is fans think it's a matter regenerator or, or something it's a really great thing and then yeah, yeah. when you have the ending where you find out what the omega 13 does it was what did they say it was is it is it the same thing i'm thinking of where he says maybe they said some people think first. it'll destroy everything and then there's are some fans like myself that believe that it'll it 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 reverses time for 13 seconds into the past. Yeah. She's like, well, what can you do in 13 seconds? Which is just foreshadow. For yeah. Correct a mistake. <laughs> He's like, well, it would be enough time to correct a single mistake. And then it's great later on that plays into that. Of course it has to, but it, it, a, the great ending where you have yeah. that and then you have him. It just, has like the, the whimsy yeah. and kind of like the beautifulness of fandom and, and science fiction. And then you have the comedic aspects of like, and then just take a ride and you're down through the chopper, the chompers. And there's like, and it's like, why is this here? Because it was, this causes no purpose. This is no purpose. Like they wrote it as they saw it. They designed it as they saw it on the show. And then the fact that, uh, they they hit the button, but then the the clock doesn't stop. Oh yeah. Cause it's not meant to, it never. And then, and then it stops at once. She's like, Oh, the clock always stops at one on the show. Yeah, and then what's you his know because they always do it at the last like a time on TV. Yeah, uh, the, all the, that stuff is is hilarious. And then you have another odd to like say Next Generation where they're able to like have the two uh, parts of the protectorship come apart, mm-hmm. and they take like the war bridge down, and then you know they're 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 using Roman candles to light away. And this is of course pre nine eleven, so you get a little more of like when they come crashing down and they cause a wreck into the building and people get hurled. Like nowadays, if you saw something like that, people would be running for their lives, screaming hurt. But now it's like everyone gets up and just starts clapping like <laughs> yeah. it's part of the, you know, there's <laughs> the much more of a, like, uh, you know, here, you know. <laughs> and he starts announcing them as they're coming out. And then you have a little like die like, hard. And another crew member <laughs> as, <laughs> as Sam Rockwell comes out. Yeah, and then it's uh, he's like, it's Chin and his friend. <laughs> you know, and up. friend. Yeah, it's so funny. And I see him. He's he's in a bunch of stuff, too. I think he was on Sex in the City, that guy. He might have been one of the kids in the hall guys. Yeah, that's it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, very good there. I, I, I knew I knew him something. It's funny. I was watching something recently with somebody. And there was and maybe it was something that had involved time travel. I, I, man, I wish. Oh, it might have been. It's in it's in Ready Player One, oh, which I haven't seen yet. There's a there's a moment in Ready Player One, and 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 uh, to not spoil anything, but to give you an idea. I mean, obviously, you know that it all takes place in some kind of virtual no game <laughs> world, right? No. And yeah. the idea is that you it, like you would in a video game, you acquire things like a new weapon or new look you know there's all this stuff and one of the characters in the in the game has this thing that sets back time a certain amount of seconds yeah like it's part it's one of the things that she acquired or bought within the context of the game i think it's i'm like she bought the omega 13 <laughs> do they make a nod to that <laughs> no oh because i wonder but, if in the in the book if there's because there's so many there's supposedly it's supposed to be you know uh what do you call those yeah uh, it's so much homage to, yeah every uh, every single 80s yeah, or 90s yeah. thing so i wonder if that's a nod i'm interested in reading that but book she, i was like oh it's she's just talking about the omega 13 yeah um and then i like the ending you get the diehard carl ending where you know he, the 
uh, what's his Saurus? Saurus. Saurus comes out, and you know, you almost you almost want to hear that, you know, whatever that temp music was they put in that we yeah, talked about yeah. a month ago, and then they they kill him, and it's all part of the show. And was like, yeah, you know, it's <laughs> and you know, and then again, you have a lot of the funny things where it's like, um, you know, his shirt comes off, and it's very like every episode of uh, you know, and then you see you manage to get your shirt. Yeah, off. and a lot of the the Alan Rickman uh, lines are just hilarious. Where he's like, I, also, I gotta go find a pub, or but you, also you know, he has the most touching. Well, scene, the the, the tearjerker. I was going to tell you, I, was, I have a note here where, see, it's another example of me getting older. I saw this with you in the theater. I don't remember at all crying. No, I don't think I cried, but that scene has always given but me this like, scene, goosebumps. Yeah, and now um, when you see it a second time and the guy's dying and it's, it's oh, I'm getting teared up now. <laughs> I know, you know? know. It's, it's emotional. It's just, it's, yeah, it's, I've always thought of you as a father. For <laughs> it's like, oh my God, it's another thing. And, he's, and then he says it to him in such a convincing, because yeah, yeah. the whole, it's a payoff, because the whole movie he won't say it because it's pandering, whatever, and he says it. But he such, hates it. Yeah, and he says but it with he, such conviction and the guy dies on him then. But it's he great. dies, you know. He, Hearing, like, like, yeah, you know, like. He's like happy almost. Yeah, you died. You know? Like yeah. in the arms of his hero. Yeah, and it's real touching. Yeah, so that's a great. It's a great. And then it also gives him the motivation yeah. to to go and kick some ass. <laughs> He's like, "Stop out of here!" <laughs> but there's just so and many his hairs like sticking out <laughs> yeah. the sides of the they take his ribs, you know. <laughs> but then in the mat, it's I, I know I remember that in the theater, like like he'd gone through so much, but that piece never moved, yeah, and that's yeah. it's an inside joke. They never take it off. Um, but it's all all the little. There's so many little lines here or there, or like just little if you're keeping. You know, keeping your eye on stuff. That oh, there's a lot. You know, that's the rudimentary lathe line always. Oh, they, yeah. You know, look around. Maybe you can faction a weapon. Make a weapon as you can make a rudimentary lathe, which of course is a little bit of a nod to the uh, the episode of Star Trek where uh, it's not the cage, but it's the one where Kirk fights the Gorn. Yeah, on the the, the, the famous you know like desert rock. Oh, in Hollywood, the, the, maybe the Indian. Uh, what do you call that? Sand dunes or whatever they call. It. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and they where they might have shot the, the arena. Opening I think of, it's called the arena. Is the name of the episode. They might have shot the original. Uh, the opening of the live action uh, Empire Strike uh, Masters of the Universe. There, remember yeah. at the very There's beginning. There's a lot of things shot there. Yeah, um, tons of tons of stuff. I was just watching something. He recently. loses his shirt there too, right? <laughs> uh, Shatner, maybe he gets yeah, his shirt, well, shirt I think ripped it's off. ripped open. Yeah. maybe. I don't think he lose, but it's like half ripped off. But he ends up he ends up making a cannon, and the whole point's like Spock and they're all watching from the bridge because they're allowed to watch it. Yeah, and they they kind of realize that what's there, and they're like, "Can he put the the thing the Can he put the pieces together himself?" And, they, yeah. and he ends up like making a cannon. He finds the the things the different prod, uh different elements to make gunpowder yeah. and a giant piece of bamboo and a rock and he ends up yeah. firing this. They did a good thing with that new when they redid it now they, they make it the lizard's eyes close mm-hmm. it's kind of freaky because you don't, you're not used to that a lot of those yeah, Easter yeah. eggs uh, I'm, I'm really uh, impressed with the remastering because they didn't really butcher it you know yeah, I know yeah. people I don't know if that's a contentious topic but I, I, I do, you know, because some <laughs> people are purists yeah. yeah yeah fuck it I want the pure but I think it, they did you know they could have really you know uh Turned it into like a George Lucas Star Wars yeah, like thing. Yeah, really they redone it. Yeah, they, they, they didn't. Really they kind of just enhanced it. it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so there's just so many like little things in here and all that. Uh, you know, even down to like the names, like his Alan Rickman's name's Alexander Dane, and that's almost like an homage to Hamlet because in Hamlet they call uh, Hamlet um, what do they call him the Crazy Dane or something? Yeah, I forget yeah. what they the fuck the something. And then even. Um, uh, we, uh, Tim Allen's name on the show could be a reference to uh, Midsummer Night's Dream. I think there's a there's a 
a character there that has the same Quincy or Quincy, whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. So there's just so many great little uh, little nods. And then at the very end, too, you know, when they do like the the new show you see at the ending. The new credits, yeah. the opening credits. <laughs> and it's like you have the, it's an 18-year difference, and that's the difference between the next generation and the original series, uh, Star Trek. Yeah, uh, the, the between of time the, yeah, between the two that shows. That had elapsed, and then, yeah, you have, like, Sam Rockwell come up, and it's like he's got the great, And introducing like, Guy Fleeman as Rock. I forget his <laughs> He's like, he's like it's Rock or something. And and he's got like, this huge, like, bouffant. Yeah, and he's got the most, <laughs> he gives, like, the Isaac from the Love Boat look, and, like, you know, hey, and he walks. It's, it's so funny, and, you know, it's just, it's just so, and, it's uh, great. It has uh, Tony Shalhoub. Loops character and oh, and uh, Jane, Jane Doe, Doe. <laughs> <laughs> and it's weird because and I always like that. That I remember that laughing at the theater too when they start like kissing and making out, and then you see this. Oh, yeah. Whoa, whoa, yeah, get whoa, a room, whoa, guys. Like, yeah, you just, just like yeah, it's, yeah. It's all that, all those little, and then, uh, and then the tentacles come. It's like whoa, <laughs> yeah, like, whoa. <laughs> and then they fall down, and then it's off screen. He's like whoa, whoa, that's not right. <laughs> he's like whoa, it's just so good. And then even like the stuff too with like Tim Allen, like you know he's rolling around everywhere. <laughs> he's like doing like, yeah. <laughs> Do the flips. Yeah, and he's like, what are you? Is that working? He's like, so he's oh, like yeah. that, that, that make it better. He's like, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't uh, Tony Shalhoub before they go and uh and uh, uh, uh who? Who? Sam Rockwell's yeah. like uh I'll go I'll distract him cuz he's just going to do like a suicide mission. He's like I'm not even supposed to be here. I'm just crewman number 6. <laughs> yeah. If I'm going to die I want to go out like a heroic. He's like well maybe you're the plucky relief, the plucky comic relief. Yeah. He's like oh wait, I just had a really interesting idea with like that smile on his face and that's when they he then the next scene is them beaming the rock monster Greg Knack into the into the little area where the, yeah where those other guys are yeah 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 uh, the melancholy Dane is what they called the um, what's his face Hamlet uh, yeah and just even like the Kirk mannerisms he had which I really dug like him sitting in the chair and thinking you know it's like all really subtle stuff and uh, and it, from what you hear too is Patrick Stewart and all them they ended up really liking the the, the Star Trek actors were really skeptical about seeing the movie yeah and uh, you know they all they love it now and it's and Shatner has become friends with Tim Allen and all that thing and then now like we said it's it's garnered a big Star Trek kind of a fan fame which is I think that certainly helped it solidify uh, the fan bases because of um, because of that. You know? Apparently there is a novelization, which I don't have. I might need to seek out. Yeah, I wonder if there's what what extra. I wonder if there's a little of the darker, or they would have, who knows, if they would have trimmed that back or if it's a little darker than the uh, yeah. Quincy. Uh, Commander Peter Quincy, Quincy Taggett. Taggett. Yeah, the, the reference to Peter Quince from uh, A Midsummer Night's Dream could be. Uh, yeah, so when you get into that, too, like you said, there is a novelization that they did for it, uh, which would have come out, of course, at the same time. And then afterward, they did a comic, uh, let's see, in uh, 2008, they did a, a, a comic sequel called Galaxy Quest Global War- Warning. And then in 2015, IDW launched an ongoing series uh, that takes uh, several years uh, after events of the film. And then they've been talking about sequels for a while, and, uh, you know, sequel talks began to sag. And then with Tim Allen, uh, with um, uh, Alan Rickman passing away, they thought it would be dead in the water. But then now, up, up until very recently, they're talking about there is a guy who uh, is connected to it uh, doing the sequels. I guess who's pretty hot right now. He did something else. And he, they were saying that uh, it could they could be doing a sequel, and his idea behind it was 
to me for maybe like an Amazon type, maybe do like a, a, a well, I feel like a I, streaming series. I've heard that Amazon was taught was th- they were thinking about it for a long time, actually, even before Alan Rickman as a series. To my recollection, yeah. I could be wrong, and that they were actually things were moving pretty well, and then Alan Rickman died. Yeah, uh, and then it, that kind of put things, uh, you know on the back burner yeah and then uh, to figure out what they were going to do and then there's apparently they in 2017 they started working on it again uh, apparently yeah and then uh, they were talking with a guy named Paul Shire S-C-H-E-E-R and he had he had uh, submitted uh, a script to a couple first drafts to Amazon and in November 17 and his idea was that taking it which is interesting is to like do a cultural shift and have it be like uh, he wanted to capture the difference between like say the original Star Trek cast versus the J.J. Abrams Star Trek movies. So I think his idea was trying to take the original cast from the 1999 movie and then put them with a whole new kind of a crew and see the, the difference between the two. Yeah. And that was working well until Amy Powell, the president of Paramount Pictures, was I guess uh, dismissed and it kind of went on the back burner. But then as of recently... They're saying uh, in 2018 that no, it's still moving forward, and that but they're kind of looking at it like how like Star Star Wars a new a Force Awakens versus the older crew, yeah, having you know a connection like that. So they could be really good or really bad. I don't know. What's that guy? Paul Shear. He's a. Uh, I don't know if he's a stand-up comic, but he's of somebody you would recognize instantly. Yeah, he's been in a lot of things as as, as an actor, and he was also he was always on those like. Nine, I love the nineties. Oh, those as okay. one of those talking heads. Well, it's good he got that. Uh, and I think he might be one of the hosts of that podcast. Uh, how this? How did this get made? Okay, which was indirectly an inspiration for this podcast. Yes, yeah, for for, for reasons not that one would think. Uh, so yeah, so it, it comes out. It, it does pretty good. I mean, it, you know, it ended up grossing like ninety million off of like I think like maybe. 35 million so it does good and it has this you know it had a good critical reception and people liked it and you know and then it ends up having this great kind of uh, cult following because of you know the the connection to Star Trek and and then funny enough I didn't know all that stuff where it was deemed the the pseudo 12th Star Trek movie yeah. and then the 7th best Star Trek movie I wonder how Star Trek fans feel about Orville now is, that's already gone right well the second season just started oh it is it's still on yeah Okay, because I know you were talking about that last year in the uh, the night they saved Christmas episode we did uh, about Orville, but I don't, I didn't know, I, I don't know, I, I've kind of, I'm kind of not into Seth MacFarlane anymore, really. It, uh, it, it straddles a weird line of MacFarlane comedy and then serious Star Trek ness. Like it's there's this weird. Well, he's a huge Star Trek fan, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, but there's like this weird. It's like bipolar, yeah, in some ways, you know, because it's like these silly jokes and then very real Star Trekian comments on things. Well, because like, very the, serious. The the redheaded kid is in that the night they saved Christmas episode we did last oh, year, yeah, 2017. Yeah, yeah. So we brought that up a bit. There's also, I think, in one of the Critters movies, yeah, and uh, a lot of stuff will be your kids. I think he's an episode of 21 Jump Street. And yeah, and it's so we were talking about it then. I I didn't I hadn't heard anything about it since it premiered, so I thought I just because I don't watch really network TV or primetime television I thought I just died but it just you know segment following stuff sometimes I think is I think it's the point of his stuff to go over the line and I know South Park does that fairly well too but sometimes it's just it can get old 
Yeah. So I kind of that's how I kind of fell out of like Family Guy and I fell out of like uh, the other stuff he's done, the Cleveland Show and all the other things. And this so. doesn't this show doesn't so much do that. There is a great line which is in the, it might even be in the pilot, but it's one of the his alien crew members is in the is in his quarters, and he's sitting behind the desk and he has this little stuffed Kermit on his table, Kermit the Frog, on his desk, yeah. And somebody asks him about it. They're like, what is that? Who, who is that? He's like, uh, you know, he's like, oh, it's Kermit, Kermit the Frog. I'm like, well, wh- why do you have him on his desk? Was he a great leader? He's like, yes, yes, actually he was. <laughs> yeah. And the like, Kermit was a great leader. Yeah, I, I, I completely, I completely <laughs> believe that. Yeah. Oh, but in a nutshell, that. I think that show, gives, that line gives you a, a very good indication of like the, 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 the affectionate. The, yeah. Uh, aspect of fandom and and uh, w- that that show that that show has. That's why I'm, I'm curious to see what Star Trek fans think of it because I've heard I have heard some Star Trek fans say it's the best Star Trek show on TV right now. And there is a Star Trek show on there is a, on yeah. streaming, which anyway. isn't yeah, which isn't available to everybody. But it's yeah. So uh, and have you watched that? I, I did Enterpri- watch Discovery, not Enterprise yeah. Discovery. Is it, it was you, good. Yeah. yeah. I, like I would that. like to watch it, but I just don't want to pay for another freaking streaming system. That's going to be the downfall of yeah of television. People don't realize got to buy streaming every, every service a la carte, and it's funny too because now they're going to have a Twilight Zone series too on the same CBS network, and it's going to be the same thing. Got to, I mean, you know what? From their standpoint, it's idiot proof. This is the this is the future. No, every so it's funny because everyone's cutting the cord, quote unquote, to cable because there's too much money. You want to get stuff for free either over the air or online. But then the the converse thing is then, but you're paying for your Netflix, you're paying for your Amazon Prime, you're paying for your CBS streaming, you're paying for your whatever well, the hell the you thing that gets So me, before I, you know it, you're going to be paying $500 a month. I would drop cable. I mean, I kind of need it for work because I work in the cable business. To write off. But uh, I need to pay for it to get the internet. Yeah. Do you really? <laughs> there's not, you can, can't get one without it? I mean, you could get, you could but just... You're pay, I guess but you're just paying the same amount, maybe, almost? Yeah, it's like, it's the amount of, of to pay for the cable company to give me internet is, you know, not even, it's not that much less than yeah. just get the cable. That's with me with a T, I would have a landline, I don't have the landline, but it's about the same amount, so I, mean, I was like, maybe I shouldn't just get a landline, you know, in that bundle, you ain't saving any money, <laughs> you know, if I don't have a landline, it's just the same, you know, so, uh, it's all very deceptive. Yeah, the but I hear, I hear pirating stuff. Of stuff is up because of all the streaming. Oh, again, it's come back. Yeah, like, it's come back because nobody wants to pay. Because I mean, I already pay for a bunch. I, I got Netflix. Yeah, I got Amazon Prime. I got Shutter. Yeah, I have the DC Universe one. Okay. I mean, how many can I pay for? Well, that's monthly charges on top of the two hundred dollars I pay a month for. Cable. Well, that's what people are. That's what people are starting to suddenly realize that you're going to be paying for. You know, uh, what all all these subscriptions are going to add up. I think they're all going to tank. To be honest with yeah, you, yeah, I, I, I think kind Netflix of agree. will stick around, but you got They have to find. I think Amazon and Netflix are, are pretty solid, but these other show, you know, like the, the the my day job is they also launch a digital thing, but it's all unproven territory because then you're really you're really hedging your bets because then you're looking for like diehard people who already pay for your cable and then are going to want to you know you could pay money to see more. It's just it's hard. It's one thing if you're okay it's, it, on its own. 
four four ninety nine a month, nine ninety nine a month, fine. But then, like you said, you add up everything else you're paying yeah. for. You know, then what happens if you have a monthly? You know, you're a comic book fan, so you pay for that monthly Marvel access comic book fee, and then you have, you know, Hulu or Apple TV, Sirius Radio, Sirius Radio in your car or whatever. And then before, you, or you're paying for a podcast, which luckily ours is free. Uh, you know, before you know it. You know, you're paying more money than you ever would have on your cable bill. Yeah. You know, and you're not right. even getting to paying rent or whatever. Uh, this <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, this ended up winning a Hugo Award for Best Dramatic Presentation. Um, and an, it won a Nebula Award for uh, Best Script. It was nominated for 10 Saturn Awards. Uh, so, you know, it ended up doing pretty well. And, uh, yeah, it's not. it was really nice coming back to see. You had brought up for a while us doing this. And... Uh, you know, I hadn't seen it in quite a while, but you know, I was like, "This it's long overdue to, to to check this this movie in particular out." And this is a newer movie for us to do. Uh, we're in 1999, so that's kind yeah, of newer. Other than uh, Fifth Element was 97, and then we did uh, Taken, which is yeah. 2008. Other than Taken, this is probably the most recent movie we've done so far. Yeah, uh, and it, it's great. It just and I we started this cast off saying this is 20 years old. It's amazing to think this is 20 years old because for me, it just you know, you get to realize people say how, how time flies as you get older, you know. So it's just, we're, you and I are starting to see that now, where this is, doesn't seem like it was 20 years yeah, ago. Exactly. But then when you look at it, it is kind of, some stuff is dated about it. Or <laughs> the DVD itself, we put it in. How, you know. <laughs> yeah. You know, but it's weird. It's just because it doesn't seem like 20 years. It doesn't seem like we just saw it yesterday. You know, it's, and it's and I it's always for me thinking about... The elapse of time for us, like right now, this is the 30th anniversary of Batman, the Tim 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 Allen movie. (laughs) Say he could have been good, the Tim Burton movie. But then you think about that, how that's 30 years ago, and then when you think of 1989, 30 years prior to that is 1959. That seems like so much longer, 59 to 89 for me than 89 is to 19. Yeah. So it's just it's weird, you know. for people sitting in 89, like, remember when we went to go see, uh, you know, Ten Commandments in 1959? <laughs> I don't know what came out. Well, it would be 30 or, years, right? So it would be 69. Was it still? Did my math's off. S- yes. 89, 79, 69, 59. That's 30. But this is 20 years old. Oh, I know, but I was oh, saying. Oh, Yeah, I'm saying like yeah, that. Yeah. And you think about, yeah. So you think of just the gap of uh, when I. I got you, mixed up there. Yeah, you think of just how far away stuff is, you yes. know. But it's just for us because we, we weren't living at the time, processing all that, how quick stuff goes. But it just seems like it was yesterday, you and I seeing this in the freaking theater. Right. You know? And I wish they would have came out with it. But it was yesterday that we just watched the sunbeam. Because technically it was yesterday. Oh, because we watched it yesterday because it's the morning now. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we put it in yesterday, but we finished it today. Yeah, this is part of our huge 2019 plan of bringing you stellar movie podcasts at exorbitant amounts and of time. extremely long. Distracted, and, yeah. uh, distracting yeah, Last week's we did, we opened it up with Willow, and we were kind of all over the place with Willow, because it was a late night from taking the Christmas tree down and all that. You gotta get focused for the next yeah. episode. This one was a little long, too, because we had we had a lot, a lot of, uh, uh, um, what do you call those? little uh tangents so um that's 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 about it here this week again um you could check us out on facebook instagram uh we're on twitter uh saturday night movie sleepovers you could check us out our homepage where you can find a lot of show extras for each episode and you know more stuff about us blake and i uh we come out bi-weekly you could find us on the clns media network cln S. Media. Am I saying it right? CLNS Media Network. 
Uh, Blake, you have your stuff going out now. Score Epis- to death. Yep. Uh, Conversations with Horace Grace Composers is a book, and it's available on Amazon and other places you buy books. There's the Score to Death podcast, which is an extension of the book where I interview more composers about the craft of film scoring. And I am now also hosting Cuts from the Crypt on the Damn Fine Network, yeah. where I get to play DJ and I get to play some of my favorite uh, horror movie related music. And you just had the first one to, uh, uh, drop. I just did the first one. Last and month. the second one will be very soon. It's, uh, I believe it drops the last Saturday of every month. Yeah, that was good. To check out episode one if you'd missed that. And for people who didn't know, you had brought up the news that there is a second Score to Death. And I am currently working on a sequel to the Score to Death book. Ooh. But there's some time before that will be available. <laughs> <laughs> because it takes time. It's a lot of research in there to do all that. For the for the amount I'm of knowledge you're getting. It. Yeah. He's he's working on it. Um, I've got a book out, Blood in the Streets. That's a historical fiction thriller. If you like seventies cop movies or like, you know, thrillers of that kind of area, uh, check it out. It's on. Um, you can get it in paperback. You can get it in audio book. You can get it in ebook. Uh, we like to say support your local podcasters. Please check out our books and maybe if you want to support us and the podcast, that's a great way of doing it. Is buying our book and checking that out. Uh, we'll be that is also available. You can check that out on social media. Instagram, Insta, what is that? Facebook and Twitter for Blood in the Streets. Uh, I'm on the same thing, uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, so is this podcast. We'll be back in two weeks with an all-new episode. Uh, uh, yet to be determined. <laughs> but we've got some um, we've got some ideas. And uh, I think that's about it. Ray, do we have any other announcements or whatever? Just again, I apologize for the, <laughs> for the lack of focus of this Yeah, we were, we were a little giddy because we were like little schoolgirls. It was fun. So uh, we'll see you in two weeks. Later. Later.